this podcast. Well, Jordan, we're back. <laughs> we are? <laughs> Did we ever stop? <laughs> I never I've left. Been, I've been podcasting in my head all week. You know, that's a funny thing you say because I think I've had a running internal podcast my whole life. Like, that's just the way my brain works is I'm constantly monologuing to myself. And I will go from, I will go from speculating about the Utah Jazz to talking about something that I remembered from college to whether or not I liked a movie back to the Utah Jazz, to something related to church or religion, to something related to current event or politics, back to the Utah Jazz, all within like a 30-second period. <laughs> my, my brain is unharnessed. It's like unharnessed chaos. And sometimes, once in a while, there's a coherent thought. But I usually forget it before I can... Can remember that you had a coherent remember thought. Remember or write it down or... Do something, <laughs> do something to make it permanent. Oh man, that's that's funny. Uh, I I find myself in arguments with people, like the I, I'll I'll have like a an argument going. It's not quite a straw man, but because it's like somebody that I know, like a, my dad or something, or a state president or um, <laughs> some uh, elected official, or yeah, you, you imagine and, yourself and in an argument it's with not, this person. I'm not so much imagining myself in that argument, like because that that the way you put that kind of presupposes that I had intentionally imagined it. I just find myself in the argument and, and it's going on in my head and I'm pretty soon I'm like, well, why am I arguing with this person? Man, I'm ripping them up. But why? I don't want to be fighting with this guy or whoever it is. But but they need to know that I'm making a good argument here. I've, because... I've had similar internal arguments like that. Like at on my way to the grocery store where I know I'm going to walk around with my, with my face hanging out in public. Hey, that's just terrible. And I, I like your pants aren't pulled up all the way or something. (laughs) Right. And I'm thinking about things I'll say to people like if they confront me. Oh yeah. You're practicing the uh, rebuttals. That I do a lot. Like I practice the arguments in my mind because you know, you're going to potentially meet with this resistance. Right. In fact, um, I just read a, a Twitter thread this morning about a person. You're back who, on Twitter. I never you left. Never left. <laughs> unfortunately, but uh, a woman was going to the grocery store, and her daughter was with her, a teenage daughter, and it was the first time that her teenage daughter was going to go maskless, so she was kind of nervous about it. This is the psychosis plaguing our country right now. Like this teenager was afraid to go to the store without a mask and was nervous that she was going to get accosted. And she said, mom, what, what do we do if someone says something? And, and the mom had kind of some nice points of particularly that it was, it was selfish to wear the mask because it continued this widespread deception that we're all dangerous to each other. But she said that they went to the store and, and nothing happened. And It was all fine. In fact, I went to a grocery store on, by the way, today's Monday, Monday, April 5th. It's 452021. And yesterday was Easter. I had somebody remark to me, though, they were a little concerned on the third because that was the final 4321. Yeah. (laughs) 
So yeah, today's Monday, uh, April 5th. Yesterday was e- Easter. Happy Easter, everybody. Yeah. Welcome back to the Mind Virus podcast. Find us at mindvirus.show on the web. Join six or seven other people who look at our no, posts. No, no. S- six or seven hundred other, other people. people. <laughs> right. Everyone's doing it. You're the only one who sees if, the numbers, yeah. Jordan. So we can tell people whatever we want. Okay. 1.5 million people listened to the Mind Virus podcast. They've gotten their first dose of the Mind Virus podcast this week. Right. And they'll be getting their second dose next week. And within 15 days, they will be fully vaccinated vaccinated against a mind virus. That's right. But I went to the grocery store on Saturday evening, which is here in Utah. Saturday evenings at the grocery store are busy because Saturday is a special day. It's the day we get ready for Sunday. Okay. Okay. We (laughs) comb our hair and brush our teeth and go to the store. Okay. And... (laughs) <laughs> and all the ice cream is generally gone. Uh, seriously, if if it's the middle of the summer, you can't find paper plates and and plastic forks and stuff like that. If if it's uh, you know a big event, you're going to find that you, there are certain things you can't get because everybody's gotten. It's almost like March of 2020 when everything is gone from the store that you right. want. We have a a miniature rush every Saturday night here in our local grocery stores, but the grocery store was busy, and for the first time maybe since last June or July, there were more than me showing their faces. There were, there were several blank faces, several uncovered uh, faces, several, several early adopters of the April 10th freedom date. Right. And nobody said anything. You know, the, the lady who uh, checked me out, she wasn't checking me out. (laughs) She checked out, she, helped me pay for the groceries. She was checking you out? She wasn't checking me out. Does your wife know about this? You know, she might have been because she could see my handsome face. Yeah. Unlike everyone else. But if, she, if you know yeah, if you know Bobby in person, he has not just a face for radio, <laughs> but also television and movies and perhaps comic books. I don't even have it's, a voice he, for radio. He's, he's like a caricature of a man, a caricature of a superhero <laughs> po- possibly sidekick. Maybe sidekick. My, maybe, but uh, yeah, well, okay. The lady, I could see why she was checking you out. The lady, uh, she was still masked up because her employment, I think, uh, demands it. Doesn't demand it. Her employers demand it. Right. But she was very happy. She asked about some of the stuff I was buying, um, and we had and, and we had a, a friendly little conversation there. And I'm remembering that that's normal. That's human interaction is smiling and having a chit chat with a stranger at the grocery store or asking somebody, you know, a fellow shopper, you know, hey, have you tried that? Are those good? I've I've heard those are good. I see you're buying that. Is that good? This is what extroverted positive people do in the store. I I, nothing, I don't. Nothing changed for me. I don't year. instigate that stuff because I'm a <laughs> I'm an introvert myself. But I see those things happening, and I'll respond. I, avo- I I generally have avoided eye contact most of my life. But uh, <laughs> if she, you know, if 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 somebody asks me at the grocery store, "Hey, I yeah. see you're buying that. Is that good?" I I will say, you know what, I haven't tried it yet, but I've heard it's good. Or I'll say, and, it is. It's yeah. very good. You should get it. And I'm kidding. I try to smile at people. And, uh, but I admit that having been in the grocery store a few times in the last year, 
I've walked in with a purpose, like, man, I'm going fast and don't, don't, don't ask me anything because I'm going to be in and out because I don't want you to, I don't want to talk to you about whether I'm, the fact that I'm not masking. Right. I don't want to talk about it. I'm getting out of here. Right. And so I ended up, it's kind of a conflict in my own mind. I ended up uh, staying up too late last night. Um, and I went down this YouTube rabbit hole, which is common. And I started watching, um, it's, it started with, I sometimes will watch or oh, listen to music. Hold on a second here. I'm making a note on our, uh, for the Omniverse that we have to have a whole area of studies devoted to the endeavor of the exploration of the YouTube rabbit hole. Okay. That, that could be a you, major you, emphasis. You can never fully... The YouTube rabbit hole. You can never fully explore it because it's no, infinite. Because you could have a PhD in that. Like I, I might. I, I might. Am, I might have I'm already an earned explorer one. Explorer of the rabbit hole. So l- let me tell you about this explorer. So uh, oftentimes I will find YouTube's a great resource for music, and especially like non-mainstream yeah. uh, artists. And I, I was, I found some. If you like, I'm, I'm going to give a little. I'm going to give Will a little, this reveal too much about your your um, true identity? No, I'm going to give a little plug here for this oh. YouTube channel. If you like kind of folksy, countryish singer songwriter stuff, which okay. I, I I don't mind. I, I have to be in a certain mood. But there's a there's a a YouTube channel called Gems on VHS. So That's, I'm going to we'll link to Gems on VHS from the. Uh, um, from the website post on this particular uh, podcast. By the way, we're flying by the seat of our pants again. Going off the cuff, I'll instruct you on that in just a moment. Oh, I didn't look up seat of pants I did. off the cuff. Okay, I did. Great, when, great. When we're done with this tangent, okay. I'll get to that tangent. So <laughs> we're tuned. talking about gems on VHS. And if you're listening, gems on VHS, there will be a massive influx of traffic. And <laughs> you're welcome because we're going to put this on our page. Now... If you choose you don't want to be associated with us, we'll gladly take that link down, but it could affect your your rankings. Well, they they post they make these music videos of kind of uh lesser known artists, a lot of folksy For some reason I'm imagining uh, Napoleon Dynamite style. Is this No, it's better than that. Okay, it's better than It's that. high quality but stuff. It's on VHS though. No, no, that's just their name. They, oh, okay. And, and some of our younger listeners probably don't know what VHS is. You know, you remember how he learns to dance from a VHS right, tape he right. finds at the local thrift store. Why are you so sweaty? Deseret Industries. Yeah. <laughs> I've been dancing. That was uh, La Fonda. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Her name, La Fonda. Um, but so watching some of those videos led me, you know, because YouTube's got the algorithm and it suggests things and it pulls up related content and i ended up watching concerts from the 1970s from dr hook and the medicine show are you familiar with no, them i'm not Mm-mm. they're probably most famous for a song called on the cover of the rolling stone where they sing where they sing wishing they could end up on the cover of the rolling stone and i re- i used to listen to that band when i was in high school and they're a really fun they really have a fun on stage. You're talking about Dr. Hook or the Rolling Stones? Dr. Hook in the Medicine Show. Okay. They, they, I've never heard of them. What, what kind of style of music is this? It's this country rock 
stuff. They did a little bit as the seventies progressed. Mm-hmm. They they kind of came out with some soft rock hits and and things like that. But on the cover of the Rolling Stone is probably their most famous. So that was a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I went really down and in watching this these old concert tapes, watching these big crowds at concerts dance and hug and be together and sharing drinks and cigarettes and doing passing doing around. what humanity has always done it reminded me that it's been a long time since i've been a, to a concert but then i also realized it's been a long time since anybody in the entire world has been to a concert and we need more concerts we need live music we need people at ballparks we need people congregating together because there's really a lot of uh positive energy from people being together especially if you can be united around a single purpose even just for a couple hours like a concert or a sports game or a church service okay you're gonna you... this being uh the year 2021 we can actually do this with technology but we're also probably going to get DMCA. I okay. think I think you kept it under the limit. The limit. Okay, because I have a note, uh, a DMCA note on our website that says <laughs> we can do that. Yeah, I've read that. They're <laughs> like I said. The they're a, they're a fun band. Uh, watch. Go go find go find some of their videos. They just. I don't know. I don't know. I think they were probably always on cocaine on stage or something. But really fun band. Um, they had a guy with an eye patch that really was cool. a character and he just died a couple years ago. But uh, that also led me to other rabbit holes with like the highwayman. Remember the highwayman, Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson, no, Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. They all collaborated on a few albums and called themselves the highwayman. Anyway, you could see this, how the rabbit hole works and is infinite. Yes, I'm going to need like a, uh, so the highwayman making a note of that. I'm, I need to, I am getting an instruction in the Omniverse while having these conversations with Bobby. So there are many things that as a sheltered child of the 80s, I missed. I I did get some of the stuff, but I was more... uh, I I was exposed more to some of the classic 50s and 60s stuff like the Beach Boys. Not so much the Beatles. They were a little bit on the edge, but uh, more, more of the... I'm going to. Side of things when I was I'm going to say something a little bit controversial here. And no, no, hold on a second here. We don't say things that are controversial <laughs> on this podcast. I don't know if you can. S- All right. I don't think the Beatles are that great. Really, I I appreciate their artistry, but I'm just not a huge fan. I like some of their stuff. I'm making a note here. Bobby doesn't think Bobby doesn't think the Beatles are that great. I'm not uh, saying they weren't technically great or they weren't ahead of their time or anything like that. Okay, now hold on a second. I just don't get I, I don't I just can't get into their music. You get that Beatle is supposed to be spelled B E E, not B E A T, and that the B E A T is a play on words. Yeah. And so they have it's a beat, right? Yeah. You get that. I, I also know you still don't think they're that great? No, I appreciate what they did. I okay. just I don't if I'm if I'm looking for music to listen to, the Beatles usually aren't high on the list. Okay, so the when I when I grew up, I grew up. In, see, the Beatles versus the Beach Boys was sort of a Republicans versus Democrats, <laughs> or 
BYU versus University of Utah type of a sure. you know Catholic versus Protestant type of a divide. And my family came from the Beach Boys side of this. So we were American purists, largely due to my father. Um, you know, I was instructed in the religion of my fathers, the learning of the Egyptian, the language of the Egyptians, <laughs> the learning of the Jews. And so I have a, I have a great, uh, I think, big picture overview of, of what happened here. And so, and most of you listeners who are older than, say, 40, because I really do think there's like a, a great gap. Nibley called it the great gap, you know, when there was the apostasy. Mm-hmm. There is a great gap between our generation, Generation X, and the guys that come after us. Like you, Bobby, and I, we have insight where we can see, we, we knew our grandparents better than our younger siblings. And our grandparents didn't even have electricity, perhaps, or, you know, or they, they came from humble beginnings in the in the great depression or whatever Mm -hmm. and and we talked to them and we we were old enough to have done for example like i did uh, an autobiographical project where i wrote a 40 page by not autobiographical autobiographical is the wrong word that would be about yourself for, for our special listeners out there that like to correct us you know who i'm talking to um i have a good friend who's really smart that listens to this podcast and he lets me know and i appreciate that if you're out there listening that you're listening and you're and you're checking us, but he is making me self-conscious. Anyway, um, <laughs> autobiographical would mean I was writing about myself. Yeah, I was doing a biographical sketch of my grandfather, and in like fifth or sixth grade, and so I took videotape of him and you know put together a really serious biography for a sixth grader, and uh, got to know. A little bit about what it was like when he was a kid. But anyway, so we, we're in a unique position, Gen X, some Gen X, the interested members of Gen X to, to have, I think, if you have a, a reasonable memory and you're reasonably introspective, that you have this bird's eye view position on, on the last century and, and where, where we are in history right now that other people don't necessarily have. Um, like, for example, if you're, if you're in your early 40s, mid 40s or whatever, you, you, and and what's amazing to me is that the guys that are older than us, although I do have some friends that are like in their, you know, late 40s, early 50s that have really great um, perspectives on this because they're paying attention. But I'm surprised at how many of the people just older than us, especially in our neighborhood or whatever, they just don't seem to care. You know, they're like, they're like a, a mirror image of the baby boomers. They seem to be a little bit oblivious to what's going on. So I don't think it, it, it just, it, it, I guess what I'm saying is it does have to have to do with your, your own personality and your individual, who you really are, but also the, where you came in the history matters. And so anyway, um, where we were at or where we grew up, we were able to see the, the shifting of the, of the society in a certain way. And we have had experiences like, for example, we can remember as adults not having cell phones. I don't know if you, you might have been an early adopter, but like when I was a young married person, we didn't have a cell phone. And it was like a big day when we got that, that Nokia right. phone. That yeah, was, I remember our first cell phones. I was already married. It wasn't a brick. It was, uh, you know, because you had the big brick. I remember if you had one of those big phones, it was the size of a 
a VHS tape or something. Yeah. And again, a VHS tape is approximately one inch by three inches by seven inches or something like that. If you're my, (laughs) our first set it, we got my wife and I got the same ones. They were, they, they looked like what you would now call a walkie talkie. Our first ones, we didn't get the little Nokia ones till later. We thought we were the bee's knees when we got those. Yeah, we had a... That's another old school phrase, the bee's knees. Okay, I'm going to make a note of that, that we have to (laughs) to look at the etymology of the bee's knees. And I think think one of the reasons maybe our age group has that, we're, we're, we're... some of the only people, and I mean our age group, so maybe people who are in their 40s right now, we know what it was like before the internet, but and we know what it was like now, and we also know what it was like to kind of grow up with it. We grew up with the internet. We See, made the internet. Right. Do, our, I, our kids will never know what life was like without hyper... Information. You know, high-speed internet. Whereas people older than us never or i shouldn't say never but haven't gotten they didn't experience that in their youth they didn't they didn't grow up with computer games and message boards like we did okay we have to have another sound effect wait for it stand by to stand by wait wait for it audience standing by okay standing by i'm serious wait for this if you remember this you are old This is so satisfying. Okay. That's the sound of a dial-up modem. And, and then and then towards the end there you could you would get a voice that said, "We're sorry, all available lines are busy. Please try again later." <laughs> yeah, if you're yeah. Early on, you could sometimes you could well, get through. Well, I remember it was a breakthrough day in my household, and I was probably sixteen or seventeen year old, seventeen years old when we got a second line for the internet, so that people could talk on the phone and be online at the same time. Before that, if someone was online, your phone line was tied up, which means you couldn't make any phone calls and no one could call you. They would get the busy signal, which no one knows the busy signal anymore. I'm really liking this tangent we're starting with because it's a total trip down memory lane. That might be the name of the podcast today. I don't know. We I reserve the right to change the title well, of the podcast. But, it started But with, I'm getting tons of nostalgia because like, do you remember when we had like free internet? There was like these companies that came out and they're like, and and you can get you can dial up to our servers and surf the net for free. Yeah, if you installed their software. Yeah, and then it would try to advertise you to would, you or something. And, and you would get... I remember... Uh, we'd find know, ways around that. America Online would send out those discs. Oh, yeah, and they had certain and a certain number of hours for free. Yeah, I and, think... Uh, and I so think, you'd run through that, and then you'd trick it, and you'd use a different... <laughs> yeah, I think you could get the internet for free infinitely <laughs> if you were diligent enough with those AOL CDs. I think there are people who still... Are connecting at eight megabytes per second on those, a sixteen baud modem on those <laughs> discs. But th- this last night was a bit of a that rabbit hole was a bit of a nostalgia trip because a lot of that music was stuff I listened to in junior high 
And going, oh, there are so many tangents in my mind and, right now. And going back I, to... I'm using all of my available focus and energy and brain power not to derail you because you just found the thread again. Yeah. Well, going back to Beatles versus Beach Boys, I was neither. I was a Grateful Dead Led Zeppelin guy. See, I didn't get exposed to that till my early adulthood. And the Beatles versus the Beach Boys was a huge deal. The British invasion, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And that's what we were talking about is like, you may not know that, what a big deal it was to do Beatles versus Beach Boys and how revolutionary that whole thing was. And um, the Beach Boys, this was, thanks for bringing us back because I wanted to give a shout out to Brian Wilson. He is underappreciated in the world of music because of the Beatles. And the, the guy was, I think, the inflection point. Now, there were plenty of other people that could have filled that, that mode, but you have to put yourself back in the shoes of, a, of a, an average American in the middle of the 1960s. They did not have a concept. If you're living right now, you have, all, you have a media deluge a music deluge of, of just, you are awash with different styles of music and different things. And at the time, in the mid-60s, you had rock and roll developing, and you had kind of big band, 40s, and you had uh, classical music. You did not have all this experimental stuff, the synth stuff, the, uh, there's a little bit of country music back at the time, but it was, it had its own style. Um, you had some blues and jazz. Yeah. And that was you, all kind of, contributing to the to the development of rock right but go back and watch movies from the 50s and 60s they do not have these really subtle soundtracks they you know they'll like if you're gonna if you're seeing a military movie you'll generally have this marching band military they'll pull in wagner that's the flight of the valkyries right <laughs> they'll uh they'll pull in all kinds of classical stuff and so you had these would you call them tropes or memes or like, uh, what's a trope? Now we got to look you know, up the trope, word trope. A trope has a bad reputation, but a trope is just any any element of storytelling and tropes are good. But you nibbly use the word. We've we've sort of morphed that, war, that word into meaning like cheap or lazy storytelling, but tropes are just part of. I, what, I'm looking, what, I'm, what I'm looking for is the word liet motif, which Nibley, Nibley used that. Uh, or, or I've heard it in, light motif. Okay. I now, have the, okay, I have the you are a PhD. I have the PhD okay. in pronunciation. You are you are <laughs> you are the, the, the hetero doctor here <laughs> of pronunciation. Liet motif or leet motif? What how did you I heard you light it? motif. Light is motif. What I heard. It's spelled, I believe, L I. Uh, now I'm gonna have to look up the L spelling because -I -E we're gonna have like we're gonna have a, a spelling policeman here. I don't have a PhD in spelling. It's L E I. See, I got it backwards. It's L E I. Leet. Okay, well, we can pronounce it here on Google. Leitmotif. Winner, Bobby is again the winner of pronunciation games. <laughs> uh, Leitmotif. It's always a good. It's always to good. It's always a good thing to get woken up when you're wrong. You know, it's always it's it's a good thing. I want to remind the <laughs> listeners when you're told you're wrong and you realize you're wrong. I wasn't a, saying you were wrong. That's a good thing. I, I think just that's I what, offered an alternative. No, you offered. Okay, <laughs> when you're wrong, you're wrong. Light motif, and I'm going to correct the spelling here. Anyway, the point of a light motif, because I've got a little dyslexia, I'll admit it. 
it's a recurring theme throughout a musical or a literary composition. And so you get this in like Peter and the Wolf. If I, if I sing the, the uh, little refrain, that's Peter coming into the meadow, right? Or is it the goose or something? I can't remember. Right. I think an easy uh, famous one would be the uh, Darth Vader theme in, oh, yeah. in, in Star Wars. Every time Darth Vader is referenced or on screen, you'll get a little hint at it. And John Williams is anything but subtle with those. Yeah, and he's great. Yeah, he he, does a good he, job. he's like, he gets how the mind works and he has this. He, he's or Jaws, yeah, the Jaws theme. He, he's expert at also weaving, weaving these great themes into into the music and telling the story with the music. So anyway, the light motif, that's the the thing that reminds you of what you're looking at. So in these older movies, you'll get uh, very obvious theme music for things like military processions, or if if you've got people out in the bush. Uh, you know, having to cobble things together, you get kind of a country bumpkin type of a twang. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- that's very common in older movies that you, if you watch these older shows, you're kind of like, oh, this music is a little bit out of place. But that was the way they would, you know, have the music going along with the story in the 50s and 60s. So anyway, back to the tangent at hand, which was, I'm tangenting off of your tangent that you really don't like the Beatles that much. I- I don't necessarily okay, am I say putting that. words in your mouth. I just I'm not I wouldn't call myself a fan. I I will listen to a Beatles song, but I'm I don't seek them out. Okay, so I'm giving a shout out here to uh <laughs> to Brian Wilson. And in my quest to sort of amass some of the great uh works, you know, c- put those in my library, I did buy a few Beatles um albums. So I don't have all of them, but I did buy the CDs so that I wouldn't just have pirated copies. Mm-hmm. You know, the internet allows us all to be pirates. Um, Unless you run one of those websites. Yes. Then, then you're what's called a fugitive. Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I did want to have some Beatles in my collection. They, they've got very influential and, and some good music. But Brian Wilson was, I think, the inflection point. He pioneered the shift from that the old style of music into this new style of music using the recording studio as an instrument as a mechanism uh, and it's amazing right now because on your laptop you can have a recording studio now it's you know it, it, the democratization of of content production is a- astronomical it's amazing in the the modern world what you can well, and do. that's what uh, like is enabled channels like gems on vhs and those artists those artists some of them i imagine have recording deals with with labels but some of them i think just go right to the people via youtube Mm -hmm. and they can create sizable audiences and therefore sizable sales without all the traditional gatekeepers yeah the beatles besides elvis i think uh, i think the beatles have the top spot as the most widely commercially successful band of all time right and in a lot of the rankings, like Rolling Stone will rank the albums and stuff like that, and they'll take the top spot. But it's uh, like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, released in the, uh, I think, 1966 or 1967, will take the top spot on Rolling Stone's like top 500. But it's less well known that Brian Wilson's Pet Sounds, or the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds, takes spot number two. And when Pet Sounds came out in the mid-60s, I think it was 65, uh, 
the Beatles got a hold of that and they were blown away. And um, both Paul McCartney and John Lennon, when they heard God Only Knows, they w- both reportedly said that it was the greatest song written uh, of all time, which, which is amazing. And so you had Brian Wilson, who wasn't even touring with the band. They were out in Japan touring, and he's at home writing music and writing Pet Sounds. And, and at the time, Pet Sounds was not very well received, but it is the album that changed it all and led to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And reportedly, when Brian Wilson heard Strawberry Fields Forever... I uh, can't remember if that's called Strawberry Fields or Strawberry Fields Forever, but he heard it, and if you hear that, that's sort of an uh, an experiment in this existential f- passing through a veil or something when the, when the music just melts away at the end of the Strawberry Fields Forever refrain. Um, he heard that, and he gave up. He's like, oh, they beat me to it, and he had his, his uh, breakdown, and... Um, essentially pet sounds and good vibrations were the last at least in the 1960s the last major um works that brian wilson performed or or created and those were the breakthrough works it wasn't the beatles stuff it was the beach boys stuff and brian wilson's compositions that were the big breakthroughs in music production in the 20th century so just wanted to give the shout out to Brian Wilson. He had a, a difficult life, <laughs> to put it mildly, and um, and he experienced. I think uh, some people would call him psychotic episodes. I think he experienced a lot of harassment from the other side of the veil. I think he was he was uh, he had a the guy had certain spiritual gifts and and then of course couple that with doing drugs and all the pressure and he was tormented and and it, uh, some of that comes through in his music and some of it's an amazing amazing stuff so there's my shout out for brian wilson i really like him and I, and part of that is of course from my upbringing but i have an appreciation for the beatles and they were they were and they 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 uh it is no mistake that they received the type of attention they received they put out a lot of great stuff, and they put out tons of it. Ton- they would make album after album after album. And so th- they became so well-liked because of the whole British invasion thing that they could almost put out whatever they want. But a lot of it is good. A lot of it's, and some of it's just kind of, eh, they're just making stuff up and selling it, and because they're the Beatles, people will buy it, you know? So according to... Wikipedia and based on claimed sales, the top bands of all time are the Beatles, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, Elton John, Madonna, Led Zeppelin, Rihanna, Pink Floyd. There's definitely an outlier on that list, and I'll leave it to our dear listeners to figure out which one I think is the outlier, but otherwise that list isn't super surprising. Did you pick out the outlier? Rihanna? <laughs> yeah. Who's, who's that? <laughs> I think she... Um, let's see. She she's recent, right? Does R&B, pop, dance, hip-hop is her genre list. Yeah, she's still active. I've heard of her. I could not tell you a single song, but I'm... Uh, I think we're in a different phase. I'm a 40-something... Yeah, I don't know how we can compare post-2000... 
bands to pre two thousand bands, well, or or there's some sort of a break in there. Maybe it was the nineties. At the risk of sounding like an old an old guy, I think that we are losing we're losing the ability for musicians to get up on stage in front of people and entertain them for hours just with their instruments. It seems like now everything's got to be pre-recorded or computerized or auto-tuned and there's exceptions of course. Well, it's hard to make it's hard to make the really complex interesting stuff work on stage. You have to have a backtrack, right? And and well, and if you if you go on to I I like I use Apple Music. That's my my Okay. You know, pick your pick your oligarchical evil technology company that we're selling our souls to. Well, Apple's one of them that I've sold out to. Oh, you sold. I didn't you sell sold my out. <laughs> well, but Apple Music's a great service, but if you go onto Apple Music, which I'm going to do right now, and go to um just the kind of the homepage of Apple Music that that it it's all all of the new hot stuff that they push is is hip hop rap r&b and i that's okay I, there's some of that stuff that i like but it's just and it's all explicit and it's all targeted oh look at that i'm causing interference with my phone i can't see it is it like showing I, up on the levels there our listeners are getting mad because it? It, it creates a little interference wow but my point is like it's 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 I'm not the target audience for Apple Music. <laughs> now I can find plenty of great stuff on there, um, but w- if you just go to the home home screen, I'm definitely not the target audience. Am I causing interference? No. Oh, okay. I think that's just the uh, that's the cell phone, the cell signal interfering with. Maybe it was an evil spirit. Whatever in your this phone. Th- this little recording unit. It could have been like a spirit in your phone. It could have been. It could have been all that crappy music. It could have been a spirit in the up. sky. Another good 70s. You know, and there was a lot of rock bands that had that would sing about things like that. Think things that would sing basically gospel rock. But they didn't market it as that. Yeah. Like spirit in the sky. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of uh, spiritual exploration in the 60s and 70s, which is great. You know, by the way, back to a tangent that we need to solve here. Fly by the seat of your pants is parlance from the early days of aviation. You may have guessed. (coughs) More work for me. You may have already guessed that based on the the uh, contextual clues. Aircraft initially had few navigational aids, and flying was accomplished by the means of the pilot's judgment. The term, the term emerged in the 1930s and was widely used in reports of a guy named Douglas Corrigan's flight from the USA to Ireland in the late 30s. And one more, we've got two more uh, historical lessons here to discuss You've probably heard the phrase off the cuff as shorthand for something spontaneous and unrehearsed. It stems from the pre-20th century practice of performers jotting lines on their shirt cuffs that provided discrete spaces for notes. So off the cuff is essentially saying we're cheating by reading off of our cuff. So people, instead of 
writing a note on their palm or something like you they would write it on their shirt cuff yeah so apparently in the in 1936 this is from the same era interestingly enough charlie chaplin's classic film modern times featured a scene where chaplin's tramp writes lyrics on his shirt cuffs only to have them go flying once he hits the stage providing a uh, leaving him to improvise a hilarious effect so that's uh, off the cuff and the bee's knees was originated in the 18th century referring to something that didn't actually exist it was a fanciful phrase and it was used as the kind of spoof item apprentices would be sent to the stores to fetch like a tartan paint or a left-handed hammer so that's interesting because we don't think of the bee's knees in that way, do we? We think of it as something cool, right? Right. But really, it's something imaginary, like a left-handed hammer. Well, any hammer. I have several of those. Any hammer can be a left-handed hammer. I don't think you're getting it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Do you know what a tartan is? A t- tartan? Yeah, a tartan. Uh-uh. So you don't know what a tartan paint would be? Tartan paint. So uh, my, uh, I've never heard that phrase. Okay, so if you're from Scotland, and interestingly enough, I have some, uh, in, some experience with Scottish people, and we'll let the listeners wonder as to why that's a possibility. It's because you used to watch The Simpsons a lot, right? Okay. A tartan is, a pla- is plaid. It's the, it's, the, it's the pattern that they put in their scarves and oh, okay. their, their kilts. That's a tartan, and it's it's not a plaid because a tartan is a family uh, identifier, and it it, com- it comes from the Celtic uh, culture, which was uh, up and down parts of France and into England. So it it it, it uh, is linked to a lot of Western Europe historically, but definitely the most noticeable in the Scottish uh, culture with the kilts. And a kilt, of course, is not a skirt, but an article of clothing that very manly men wear <laughs> in the north of the British Isles. Like these guys, have you ever been to the Scottish Games? These guys, no. in order to prove their manhood, and this was before they were worried about the fact that they were wearing kilts, which, again, is not a dress, it's a kilt. But they do things like take telephone poles and toss them. They call right. that the caber toss. So they'll take a huge a rock that's the size of Bobby, and they're like, "Okay, let's throw this forty feet." And I'm not, you know, that, I'm not that big. Or they'll grab a, they'll grab a fish that's the size of Bobby. Bobby's actually quite tall. If you if you know Bobby, he's well over six feet, maybe close to seven. <laughs> but uh, you know, just trying to paint a picture for the authorities when they come looking. Uh, yeah, so they'll take a fish that's like the size of a, a small vehicle and they'll swing that around and see if they can throw that from home plate to to the outfield um, at these Scottish games that are held in most states, you know, pre-coronavirus in the summer, they'd hold these Scottish games and then the, the girls get together and they dance and, you know, they'll do the sword dance and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, uh, kilts are a very manly thing and uh, they have this tartan pattern and the tartan identifies your clan. It's not just a family, it's a clan. And there's a lot of loyalty attached to clans. And um, so anyway, if you're gonna go to the store to buy a tartan paint, 
That would be the bee's knees. I get it now. Okay, good. But you could contour a handle of a hammer to fit a left hand better than a right hand. <laughs> well, when you're right, you're right. Well, I'm not going to argue. Say, I'm not going to argue today, with that every, at all. There, everything is marketed in a way that it's, you know, like you can buy, you can buy a left, you can buy two pairs of Twix bars that are only left bars or only right bars. Have you seen those? No. So you that, can buy that a, exists. Yeah, you can buy a package. You know, Twix comes in the two pack, right? Yes, I know that. Okay. And, you had me for a minute. And you can, you I can, was confused. You can buy them. <laughs> you can buy them where you're only getting two left two sides lefts or two rights. Yeah. You're kidding. No, no, that's a real thing. I'm gonna look that up. Um, Left-sided Twix. We are off in the we are off in the weeds. Today. I think I'm guessing that our. Uh, Holy cow. That's a thing. That's another one. Holy cow, which we've talked about the origins of that phrase. Yeah. And we don't need to look that up. That goes all the way back to Egypt where Hathor, the mother, was uh, symbolized by this divine uh, cow. She, the cow had the horns and then the sun disc on her head. And that, of course, goes back to the age of Taurus. And we talked about the well, procession thought, of the equinoxes. I've always thought, you know, the <clears throat> it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's, Pop culturized in the old Cecil B. DeMille film, The Ten Commandments. But, you know, in the biblical story of the Israelites leaving Egypt, and then Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and he sees the people worshiping a golden calf. I think the people get a little bit of a bad rap there because they're defaulting to what they've always associated with divinity. Okay. Do you want to go on this tangent? Because I know a little bit about this subject. That's a question. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying that, that that's another example of a holy cow. <laughs> well, the golden calf was a good thing, not a bad thing. Right. Okay. Right. The bad thing, I think, is at least in our modern interpretation of it, is, is that they were, they were not worshiping the living God. Okay. And were resulting... Re, 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 uh, okay, but okay, so regressing, whole... regressing. But I don't think that that's totally accurate. Okay, so Either. for the listeners out there, um, I guess we're going to have to go into this this topic. And uh, sources on this would be, of course, Hugh Nibley and a Protestant scholar named Margaret Barker. And we may have broached this subject before, but in my estimation, and if you're a Book of Mormon reader, this should make sense. And Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. A, picture, a, a picture is worth a thousand words, so a movie is worth a bazillion words. <laughs> And we have, because of Charlton Heston, Cecil B. DeMille, we have these things ingrained in our minds as to what, what it looked like. So we not only have a caricature of past events, we have a caricature of a caricature because the Old Testament was written by the descendants of people that Margaret Barker refers to as the Deuteronomists or the Deuteronomistic rabbis. And what happened was around uh, 800 to 600 B.C., um, the Hebrew religion changed dramatically because of the predecessors of the Pharisees, the predecessors of the Sanhedrin, the controllers, the controlling class, the people who focus on laws, the people who focus on rules and, and ritual rule following, like thou shalt wear a mask on Sunday and, and Monday and Tuesday, but not Wednesday. But on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, thou shalt wear a mask. And not when you're eating or speaking. That's right. 
<laughs> By the way, thou shalt not wear a mask when sitting at the if you're, restaurant table. If you're nervous about going mask free at the grocery store, I have a workaround. You show up and pick your favorite speech or movie monologue. For me, I, I pick Joe Biden's inaugural speech, and I just <laughs> recite that loudly as I grocery shop because okay. I'm I'm giving a speech, I'm talking, and therefore I cannot <laughs> spread the virus while I'm talking. While I'm talking or speeching, speeching, speechifying. Right. Okay. So anyway, the point is the Hebrew religion that Abraham and Moses actually had is not <laughs> not very well represented by what most of you people read in the Old Testament. You people. You people. <laughs> What I and I was surprised to learn this that historically the we have a lot of problems with the account from Exodus. It probably wasn't written by Moses, and is probably not representative exactly of what happened to Moses. There, although there are, I'm sure, certain themes and and ideas and events that perhaps did happen. But the spin was provided by the Deuteronomistic rabbis, meaning they got control of the religion in 600 BC. They gutted the temple in 625 BC, and then they got full control to the point that God was so upset with them, he destroyed them, and the, the Babylonians came in and took them captive. And so a lot of what you see in the Old Testament is sort of a rationalization of why Israel got destroyed. It couldn't have been because we were, you know, we were focusing on the wrong things. It had to be that our fathers were wicked, and they were idolaters, and they, this whole golden calf thing. No, the golden calf was okay. Solomon's temple had a golden calf throne in it by more ancient accounts. And if you read Margaret Barker, you'll find the sources. And it had a a dual throne in it where there was a father and a mother. And it had references to the mother. And, and it, they any any good apostasy, what a, what a good apostasy will do is it will destroy the old symbols. It will take all the gods and combine them into one god. And most definitely get rid of the women. You, if you're going to have a good apostasy, you have to get rid of Mother in Heaven and all the women in the religion. And uh, you got to focus people on an amorphous God that you can't say his name, you cannot know, and make him a, this ethereal God that's aloof from mankind and um, take out evidences of the hosts of heaven and uh, definitely you must obscure the idea that we're caught in an existential cosmic war between light and dark. And so pretty soon you have an unknowable God and a devil that's sort of like playing a role and you just need to beat him in your own life and, and you know just be good and follow the law that the leaders have set up. And if you'll follow the law, you'll be saved. So this happened early on in the Hebrew, or well, early on in the uh, the Jewish religion. It was late in the Hebrew religion. And therefore, when the people who wrote Exodus and wrote uh, rewrote the Moses stories, the, the books of Moses, when they, when they put that all together, the story evolved that God was upset with the, well, at least in the Cecil B. DeMille depiction of it, Moses is upset that they're, they're all fawning over this golden calf idol that the people wanted um, wanted to worship. They wanted to worship some golden idol, and that's that's just not what happened, <laughs> right? And uh, the ca- the golden calf is a symbol of Christ because the calf is the son of the mother, and the mother was in Egypt depicted as a bull 
or as a cow. The father was depicted as a bull, the mother as a cow, because they were in the age of Taurus at the time that those symbols mm-hmm. evolved. And of course, Taurus was the constellation that came up behind the sun, and the sun was a symbol. These people were symbolic. Don't don't think they were worshiping animals. They were they were using these natural symbols to remind them of their great gods, the great father and mother. And so on the spring equinox, Taurus would come up behind the sun, and therefore that we were we were considered to be calves, all all of us, to grow up as calves of the stall. Which stall? The stall of the father and the mother. And that is language that's found directly in Malachi. It talks about, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, so I'll have to go find that to put it in the podcast, but uh, Malachi explains that we want to be calves of the stall, and that is a remnant from the age of Taurus. And most of you are going to be very familiar with the idea that we want to be sheep of the good shepherd or sheep of the sheepfold. That, that one I can sell to you easy because it's so prevalent. And Jesus literally calls himself the good shepherd. John leaves us that record explicitly. And the reason he's the good shepherd, the poimane, and the reason the Essene priests were considered shepherds was it was the pattern of, of, uh, that Jesus and the great gods had left us. And we want to be considered sheep. And of course, Jesus himself was considered the great lamb of God. And this is because Aries, the next constellation that, that uh, became the processional age in roughly 22-2400 BC, Aries is a ram. And a ram is a what? It's a male sheep. <laughs> and so the shift around the time of Abraham goes from a focus on cattle to a focus on sheep. And by the time of Christ, which was again another processional shift to the age of Pisces, which are fish traditionally, but at the time of Christ, it would have been in vogue to be a sheep. Now, Bobby and I are kind of black sheep. And uh, there's a painting out there by a great Mormon artist that I, I really love. Uh, her name's uh, Minerva Teichert. Did I get that right? PhD? You did. Okay. Because uh, if you've looked at the spelling there, I could easily get that wrong. But uh, she's got this beautiful painting. And, and, and she, by the way, I'm totally running off here, so thanks for patiently listening. But uh, she was in competition with Arnold Freeborg. If you're, if you're LDS, you may remember that your Book of Mormon had these, back in the olden days, had these great paintings of ultra i mean we're talking like masculine times 10 men i mean how how can you get shoulders that broad and he also did the paintings for the 10 commandments yeah because he's totally linked into the to that is it freeberg or freiberg uh, listen that is your realm so which is it i've heard it both ways i i think it's freeberg i'm just gonna say freeberg because um because it reminds you of Free Bird, and we've been talking about music today. Yeah. Leonard Skinner. Um, okay, so I have visited a town in Switzerland that is named Freiburg, but I believe in Swiss German you might call it Freiburg. And in that town, the street signs, half of the town is French and half of it is Swiss German. So there's literally Swiss street signs up until a certain point, and then it's French. Or, sorry, not Swiss. There's literally German street signs in half of the town and then French mm-hmm. on the other side. And I know for a fact that the French pronunciation is Freiburg. <laughs> so okay. well, let's go with that. <laughs> let's go with that. So anyway, Arnold Freiburg, he uh, 
won won the competition to be the painter that got the uh, the paintings in the uh, Book of Mormon. And if you've got one of those old Book of Mormons, they're great. But Minerva Teichert was also in the running, and her paintings are like soft and spiritual. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, there's this great painting of Jesus with the sheep, and he's holding the black sheep. Right. So it's good to be a black sheep. We actually uh, have that hanging upstairs. That painting. Really? Not the original. We have a non-original also hanging yeah. above our, our mantle. Now, uh, if you've been in our homes, you could out us. That's that's another piece of identifying information to out <laughs> us. So, <laughs> Luckily, I don't invite anybody over. <laughs> well, no one's allowed into my home because of coronavirus. But uh, <coughs> so... So anyway, that's just a little bit of a history on why it's okay to have a golden calf because it was a symbol. And if you think the ancients were that stupid that they were worshiping animals, then, well, that I've got another thing to tell you. They weren't. Well, I think we've lost, and we we talk about this in a previous episode uh, a couple weeks ago where we talked about the spring equinox. We've lost a lot of the uh, natural symbolism, the, the cosmic and seasonal symbolism that is everywhere that's surrounding us all the time um we we don't even in our religious context we don't really look at that anymore and i think that's i think we're worse off for that because i think that you know again to use an lds source the doctrine and covenants talks about how the earth basically testifies of the existence of god and i'm super summarizing but We've lost a lot of that in our culture where we don't appreciate the solstice and the equinoxes like we used to. We don't we don't look to the to the heavens for signs and uh of of cosmic heavenly events. We just sort of ignore it. We just kind of think, well, there's the there's the constellations. That's there they are. Isn't that interesting? They named them. Yeah, the ancients named them and they they created these elaborate uh, pictures, pictures out of them yeah. and and we look at them and go how, how do we they, can't even they, see they them can't we can't even see them we've got so much light pollution right you know there's some places in utah though that are still some of the darkest places in the u.s and i'm not talking about the u.s the state capitol building <laughs> i'm talking about actual there are lack some, of there la- are some of, dark places in the u.s <laughs> i'm and talking U- and utah is one of them i'm talking about actual <laughs> night Darkness. Um, yeah, Capital Reef area. Is Capital one of Reef those is, is is some of the some of the darkest. San Pete Valley nights. is pretty good there. It is, and but I it's think not not as good as Capital Reef. And you know, basically, if you if you go the central southern portion of Utah, it's amazing. There are no big cities nearby, and so you can get some really neat uh, night skies. But don't come here. We should do that. We should. We record, don't want you here. We should record a podcast in the middle of the night in Southern Utah or something. Like well, a, that's that'd be a lot of work to get down there, but uh, <clears throat> but it'd be fun. This is this is a fun topic. I'm glad we're talking about uh, symbols. Our our world is rife with symbolism that we don't recognize. Symbolism that is both symbolic of light and also darkness, and, evil and, and good, and a lot of it's intentional. Like when we get back to the. You know, I think the Beatles were in that vein. They were they were producing music that after they got through the early 60s, there's like two... If people study the Beatles, you'll see that there's like two phases. They had up to like 1966, then Brian Wilson gives them that cosmic shift, and then they shift into sort of like this different mode of music. 
after after that influence occurred and um you get strawberry fields you get a lot of more intentional message music i think that that's kind of interesting and you wonder what what is it trying to say what does it really mean led zeppelin who are considered the, considered the beatles of the 70s and they were on your list is a, a hyper important can i use the word hyper sure uber uber important uh happening in music these guys i think were playing for the other team and i love their music this is a problem for me because and i've got a friend who's a loyal listener by the way of the podcast who is uh, big into their their music and has done a, uh, some extensive work trying to decipher the messages yeah but they talk like the battle of evermore is a is a story about the cosmic battle and stairway to heaven is a story about whose side you're going to be on and uh Achilles uh what is Achilles last stand They're, these are all like they they go through progressively through their music and they paint a picture and it's it's sort of uh this lament trying to draw you into the earthly uh watchers the devil's side of the of the fight a little bit kind of freaks me out now listening to him but i their stuff's great did you ever see the movie um that thing you do yeah with uh, tom hanks and then the one hit wonders yeah i always laugh cuz they um they they were called the wonders but they spelled it o n e and people always called them the the oneiders the oneiders the oneiders okay. and, and and the guy i remember there's a scene where the guy's sitting at the bar and he's explaining no it's wonders but we wanted to be like the beatles and do an alternative spelling, spelling. and the guy's just like just looks like oneiders to me <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's a little well, side there, note there are two types of people in this world <laughs> Those who are willing to see the symbols and those who aren't. And our world is dominated by people who are not willing to look beyond the surface. But our world is built and controlled by and influenced by the symbolists, the people who are, are going to put the hidden messages in there. And the messages speak to the narrative. And the narrative is what controls us. What's the biggest symbol of 2020, Bobby? The mask. Now, I knew what he was going to say, but we've been participating in a ritual. And we've yeah. said that before, but why am I so excited about it? Like, wake up. Well, and see, that's, I, I don't want to go on a mask tangent, but. But I will. A problem I have with the mask is not that it's medically neutral or even useless to. Or detrimental. It, it's that wearing one is. <clears throat> Wearing one is legitimizing a big lie. Wearing one when you don't have to is so symbolic. And the fact that they can get you to do it willingly and to force each other to do it is so symbolic. And look, I mean, if, if, you, if, if I was to go to the store and have and start you know, recording, if we were, that's an, that's an experiment. We should like try to record this in the middle of Costco, like sit down and start recording our podcast. <laughs> Could you imagine that? That'd be a, a good movie scene. There was a there was a guy who did this. I saw a clip somewhere. He he's a podcaster, does live YouTube. I don't remember who he was, but he went to a little diner mm -hmm. and was recording in the diner. And they end up uh, they kick him out. They kick him out, and 
and he's trying to record a podcast to, without a mask, right? Yeah, and I thought it was pretty funny. Well, he's just. I mean, they're within their right to kick him out. It's well, it, private property, yeah, but it, for for like like the, the society is so polarized, and there's so many people out there that have no conception of what we're talking about. That to try and have this conversation with certain people would be akin to me and Bobby getting you know di- dressing down to our underwear, getting sandwich oh, boards uh, on with, that say the end is near, I, and walking around outside. I I am conflating reality with. This was a this was a scene from Reno 911. I'm remembering now, and the guy was crazy. The guy was like, okay. the guy was basically the you know kind of Alex Jones type, and he's going off all these okay. conspiracy theories. Okay. And what they do to get him out, they don't kick him out because he's saying like, I'm within my rights. I'm within my rights. Okay. So what, one of the cops comes in and says something like. There's a rally down the street to take away our guns. And the guy packs up and runs out. Like, <laughs> like they get him out of the store and they're like, thank you so much. Like, yeah. It's a. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll see if we can get that clip onto the, onto the um, post page. But see, for that's this how. Podcast. These, you, this, that that's was how powerful another, it is. That was another YouTube rabbit that's hole powerful. where I watched hours of. of the YouTube rabbit hole. Reno 911. But sometimes if you go too deep, you start to think that they're real and that these are real occurrences. Rabbit hole. No, but the thing is, when art imitates life like that, it's a commentary on life. Like we've seen, I'm reminded. I thought you were going to point out the clip of the guy that got into Costco and stood up on the the clothes that was table real. and started bullhorning everybody. Did you you sent me the Twitter clip of a guy that was driving around with a bullhorn and he yeah. was just using sarcasm? So this was in Vancouver, Canada, a city I've spent considerable time in for some of the same reasons that Jordan has. Switzerland. T- ties to Switzerland and other places. Which I, will never be disclosed. So I, I lived in Vancouver, which is a great city. Um, parts of it are great. I didn't live in the great parts, but um, <laughs> but this it, it, Vancouver, <clears throat> Vancouver. Re- there are reasons why that's funny, but Vancouver, Canada has. Um, it's sort of like a, 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 if San Francisco and Seattle had a baby city. Um, cause you've got, you've got waterfront, you've got mountains, uh, you've got high end dining and shopping and really wealthy areas up on the mountain. This is sort of like, it's not the redheaded stepchild. This is like a redheaded legitimate child. Yeah. I mean, it's, is, be- it's beautiful. Spoiled. City. It's a spoiled child. But yeah, recently there was a guy uh, driving. He wasn't driving. He, he's he riding, riding in a, he's riding in a car and he's got a bullhorn Yeah, and he's saying things like, the government would never lie to you. Yeah, he's just being really sarcastic. The, everybody, everybody, <laughs> the government is taking care of us. They love us. And he's being obnoxious, but yeah. that's the point, right? Yeah, but but he's, he's not saying anything really very different than what you're hearing. He's No. He didn't say it specifically, but he could have said, vaccines are safe and effective. Take your vaccine. He's literally just saying the government loves you. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great you're job. Doing a, yeah. You're doing a great job. Keep wearing those masks. And you can't really see the people on the street too well because the the film the camera is just filming him. It's just filming and him. They're driving. Um, but you can get glimpses of people trying to film him as he goes by and things. Oh, yeah, and, there's a lot of people that have their phones out. And he stopped at a light or a stop sign or something, and a, and a man runs up to him with a bicycle and uses he lifts the bicycle up and tries to beat the man through the window. With the bicycle, and the man retreats and sticks his wind his feet out the window and keeps this guy at bay. And there's some profanity, and it's the curious thing about it is 
how you could see on this man's face, the, the, the bicycle wielder, how angry he is so angry at this. Oh, he's effing, effing this, effing that. Yeah. And you can just see the fury in his eyes. And when, you know, of course, when I saw it, I just started laughing because, you know, they, they, they share the link on Twitter and they're like, wait till the end. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, okay, oh, all right, we'll see what happens. I did not expect that. Well, it's crazy because he's not saying it's the sarcasm. It's like literally you can't say you can't even think that's the that's what the guy with the bike is upset about is this guy is making fun of me. Yeah. And, and he thinks the wrong thing. He thinks wrong. And so in his mind, it's he just it justifies basically violence, violence to shut this guy up when I mean, if he didn't have rubber he, tires on that bike. He would have broken the windows in that truck. Right. right. He was. He picks his bike up. That's the the rage. It's he incredible. He picks the bike up and tries to hammer the guy with his bike. And I, I, I'm using that clip as validation of the prediction that I made last week that this is going to be a hard summer for the real true believing maskers because I, a hard summer for Team Apocalypse. Because I think. As much as I still think we're spiraling downward, I think the masks are going to go away. And the masks are so symbolic of all of this. And that when they start to go away, it's going to be hard for the people who have projected all of their feelings and their legitimacy and their hopes and dreams into these things. And yeah. Well, it, we're going to have to put in the video of that woman on... I don't know if we linked to that last podcast, but there's the, the uh, lady on Cuomo's show. Uh, what's his name? Chris Cuomo? Yeah, the, the younger of the crime family. Yeah, he, uh, the propaganda propaganda heads. This uh, Asian lady, Doctor Do- uh, Wen. Doctor, she's who, a doctor. She's uh, a doctress. She, <laughs> okay, um, she, this is the second time that she has. What are her gone pronouns? on to her show? Gone on to no, this on show. What are her si- What are her personal pronouns? Are, is it a her? I don't even care. Okay, is it an it? I think she's a she. She's a she. Okay. But it's W-E-N. She's gone on there twice now and said these outrageous things. This one was even more outrageous than the first time she went on the show. Carry on. No, you tell it. You tell it better. Okay. Well, in this case, so previously she said that that the vaccines are the ticket to freedom, basically. I'm summarizing. Yeah, but that was what she said previously, and it was so egregiously over the top. That was a few weeks ago, and I think we even talked about that and linked to it. This time around, she, she was said complaining. she was complaining that things were opening too soon because if things open too soon, how do we use the vaccine as a carrot? How are we going to force people to get the vaccine how we, if how they do we, don't have, if right. they get their freedoms back without it? That was yeah. essentially what right. she was saying. We can't let people have their freedoms back unless they're vaccinated. Otherwise, people won't get the vaccine. And you're just going. And so I, that clip and, and some others. You, led yeah, you me remarked to, to me that even Cuomo looked a little bit horrified, but I was like, I thought, well, no, I think that's just how he looks. He might just but, look like, <laughs> wait, he kind of was staring off into space with these wide eyes. It might have just been he the cocaine. Drug. Yeah. It might have been the cocaine and yeah. the speed. It could have been the vaccine. It could have been. <laughs> By the way, Delta, Delta Airlines had to cancel a bunch of flights because so many flight attendants are sick at once okay after taking i'm glad we made it to this point i'm glad we made it to this point in the podcast because we do need to warn the listeners look you're gonna see a lot of propaganda right now that is uh damage control like i heard on the radio uh an ad the other day and i don't drive in the car very much so i was i wasn't surprised but i was 
disappointed to hear in every single commercial segment at least one state-sponsored coronavirus propaganda yeah, well, ad. Utah, Utah is all in on the propaganda. They have been for a long time. And it's really, it's strange because it it's sort of at odds with the general feeling of the people. The, the general, yeah, the general way people approach freedom and liberty and government in Utah. It's still generally a, a pretty conservative, that's a small C, conservative state. It's a state where... By conservative, he means... The C, the C on conservative means copy California. Okay. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> but if, you know, this clip with, with Dr. Wen and some of these other things I'm seeing, this government-sponsored advertising for the vaccine led me down this train of thought, this other rabbit hole, you know, speaking of the way we kind of open the show with these uh, inner, inner monologues. You, you, need to, this is, you need to be aware that rabbit holes... Are not just, like when when you say rabbit There's hole. There's a to, network yeah, underground. When, yeah, when you go down, if if you say rabbit hole to the uninitiated, they think like a hole, like you drilled a hole in a piece of wood, like it's a straight shaft and it's somewhere. No, if you get in a rabbit hole, there's going to be twists and turns, well, and like an like an incre- like an underground city, not even a city, but like a universe. Well, and it leads of to channels of unexpected holes. destinations. Thus, Alice in Wonderland goes. She goes down the rabbit hole, right? And, and it can go anywhere. But if it led me to some questions, I'm going to pose them to you, dear, dear reader, dear listener. Yeah, these people are not reading the podcast. <laughs> but dear reader is more of the common phraseology, right? I don't know. <laughs> You're the PhD. <laughs> Keep going. It led me to ask myself some questions. And I wish I could sit down with the governor or the state epidemiologist or some of these. By others. the way, we need to start a campaign to fire the Department of Health and yeah, the, the whole governor. department, the whole the whole thing. Unfortunately, the only way to fire the governor in Utah is to vote him out in three years, because I don't think we, we don't have, have a recall. I don't think we have a recall or even a um, impeachment uh, process here in our state. But it led me to some questions. I'm going to ask you guys the questions. So if, if COVID-19, if SARS-CoV-2 were as deadly as it's been, as we've been told, okay? Which it's not. Empirical data tells us it's not. But if, if. But it's not. And we had the vaccine, and if this vaccine was the godsend we've been told it is. By the way, just remember that it's safe and effective. And it's how we get our lives back. Okay. If all of these things were true, wouldn't we see massive demand? Wouldn't we see lines of people around city blocks, around every Walgreens, around every grocery store, around every health department, around everywhere that the vaccine is being distributed? Wouldn't there be massive groups of people demanding to get their doses? Wouldn't we also see... Like a stampede at a concert or something for the Beatles. Think, think about people some, injured over it. Think about some dystopian uh, pandemic type movie. Or you, just think you of the would 60s. See, <laughs> right. You would see people. You would see there would be there would be violence. There would be looting. There would be people tipping over the vaccine trucks. There would be black market. There would be there would be. There's f- a great Simpsons episode about this with fake ep- with fake doses. There would be. There would be There's mass a- protests about 
who's getting it and who's not getting it. We're not seeing any of that. We're not seeing any of that. In fact, here in the state of Utah, we now anybody age 16 and over is eligible, which the state made that uh, the case sooner than they had planned, because I don't think that there there's is a low demand. demand. There's a low demand for the vaccine. And by the way, we've already reached herd immunity in Utah, like uh, credible epidemiologists. And by credible, I mean lowercase c meaning censored. Um, and censored does start with a C, not an S, I'm pretty sure. I'm going to have to look that up. Mm-hmm. You're right. Thanks a lot, Edwin DeVere. Uh, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> but yeah, credible epidemiologists have made the statement that there are several states that have already reached or are right at the cusp of reaching well, you herd can... immunity in the in the pre-2020 sense, which is still a questionable concept, whether we even need to worry about that or not. Consider the different ways that you can become immune to any virus. One is getting it and recovering it. That's probably the most effective way, getting it and recovering it, like we did when we were kids with chicken pox. You mean natural immunity? Yes. Yeah, I hate to break it to you, but the World Health Organization has deleted that from the public conscious and from their website. But they didn't delete it from reality. So we still have immune systems. Uh, another way to, to acquire immunity is through... Uh, a safe and effective vaccine? Well, yeah, there's vaccines, but there's also... You can, you can acquire immunity without getting the virus. Just through... Ex, 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 just your, uh, your immune system can adapt, and you, can, uh, you may have it but not actually get sick. See, this is the strange phenomenon where people... Don't get sick, <laughs> right? And, and not and everybody that's, gets the that's, cold every year. That's but a they, function but of your... they, They're exposed to the virus, but for some reason, your your wife or your kid or somebody doesn't have a reaction to it, even though you were coughing all over them. That's the function of T cells, and they create this reaction right. in your immune system. Well, there they was educate a... your immune system. Right. I, I think there was like a cosmic edict that occurred in March of 2020 that said that shall no longer be how think it about works this in the world. Think about this. Try to separate yourself from the COVID nineteen era. I can't. And if I'm incapable, if what we've been told this last year is true about infectious disease and viruses that we need to socially distance and wear masks and so forth, why didn't we spend the previous? Let's just limit it at a hundred years. It could go back a lot, lot longer. Let's why just go back to the beginning of time. Why weren't we always sick all the time? Because there are these viruses are ever present. They're always out there. Yes, well, they're more prevalent in winter time okay. because of our lifestyles and seasonality. But why? Well, God in His mercy gave us state departments of health and epidemiologists and doctors wearing white lab coats. And the reason we weren't sick up until this point was because they didn't have enough control to take care of us until now. So because of the mercy of God, that's why. I, I don't agree. Wait a minute. You just asked. <laughs> I gave you the answer. Don't ask the questions if you don't want the answers. Okay? I'm like, come on. Well, well, but look, okay, so back to the tangent. Let me take over this tangent here. Who's to blame for the mass shootings going on? Apparently, coronavirus is. Coronavirus restrictions being lifted. The media is, 
if you're listening to this podcast, you're already partially down the rabbit hole. I hate to break it to you, but you're like wandering aimlessly through a maze of, of holes in the ground. This network of things. Story of my life. Yeah. And, and so if you're listening to this podcast, you're in the rabbit hole. And the people that are not in the rabbit hole are saying that there, that there are mass shootings that are occurring. They're, they're starting to make the news. The ones that they make the news and then some of them are getting retracted because the people perpetrating the mass shootings are either Islamic or black and their motivations are not appropriate for the news narrative. But yeah, they're, they're waiting, they're waiting for a white conservative right. to, strangely enough to, that, to commit one of these crimes. Strangely enough, they're saying that these mass shootings are occurring, hadn't been occurring in the last year. They haven't been occurring in the last four years since the Las Vegas gunman, by the way. Okay. Which was a strange. Now there's a, that's like a, an anthill inside the rabbit hole. So, you know, the Las Vegas, the Las Vegas shooting was like a booster shot to the red pill I had already taken years ago. It was like another, that is an insanity of, I, I watched that thing. I, I watched those, that news coverage in real time. That's like a daily. labyrinth of rabbit holes. Somehow I had time during that. I was watching that news coverage daily and watched this, nonsense unfold like right no, in front of my eyes nothing the establishment said about that makes any sense they had a strange interview with the shooter's brother where it looked like he had cocaine dripping out of his nose and he was i'm serious and he was he was going off about stuff that the mainstream did not want you to think about or did not want you to know and then they cut him off and you never heard from him again and then the local sheriff Always had some federal guy looking over his shoulder. He looked really uncomfortable. The local sheriff did. And then one day, after four or five days of tons of coverage, and after they had trotted out this this heroic security guard onto the Ellen DeGeneres show. Degenerate Degen show. That one's pronounced. Now, it's Ellen DeGenerate. And uh, <laughs> you as a PhD, a pronunciation... Pronunciation? Pronunciation. Heterodoc. <laughs> you should know that that's pronounced degenerate. But anyway. They trot this guy out there, and she's literally... It is... Go look at those clips. It is a textbook handler situation where she's... They're using imagery. She's feeding him what to say right in front of our eyes. He goes through this thing. We never hear of Jesus Campos ever again. That was the security guard that ran into him or something? Yeah, he was the, the first he, guy on the scene. He apparently he was the hero, right? The guy who who broke it up somehow. And he's got a handler he disabled, with him he as well. He disabled uh, the guy's bump stock. Yeah. He, so he's on the show with Ellen, who I think is, is a handler. And then this other guy, who was apparently another security guard, who is very clearly making sure everything goes according to plan. It is a bizarre scene. And then... Nothing. Nothing ever again. On the on the entire on the episode. entire thing. We're not no talking about that guy. Ever... We're talking about the the, the movie. The movie. <laughs> yeah. The, well, uh, the the narrative or this this story that's happening just completely disappeared not, from the public consciousness and because they took it out of the news. They just stopped talking about it. There was never any conclusive motive other than that he was uh, he lost some money gambling. Yeah, but the thing is, there was no conclusive. 
conclusion there was nothing. to the to the episode. There was nothing. It's like it disappeared from the public consciousness. And they've wanted the us news, all to forget that. Yeah, the news just stopped talking. That about night, it. there were there were reports of shots fired at multiple casinos. There are police. There nine one one radio chatter of multiple. There is so much going on with that. It is yeah, bizarre. Okay, so that's a huge rabbit hole. But we ha- we also have to throw into the mix the Colorado movie theater Batman shooter, mm-hmm. who, when he appeared in court, was like he looked like he was totally on drugs and he had a handler and like there's way too, too much to ignore Colorado wrong with these narratives. Colorado has a disproportionate number of these incidences, including the most recent one in Boulder of, of, of people who are like psychiatric patients going off and having a shooting. I've I've often wondered, it kind of all started with Columbine and that's a suburb that was in Littleton suburb of Denver. And, and, often wondered what's going on in Colorado. Well, if you're not aware of Colorado, when you get down I-70 to the other side of the kind of the edge of the Rockies and you get to the Denver area, you've got Boulder up to the north, you got Denver and then you've got south Colorado Springs and in the mountains the whole way, it's all military. Like yeah, there's the, the Air Force massive, is based there. Well, there's army base there. There's all right. kinds of military and they're all built into what they call uh I forget the Cheyenne Mountain. Mm-hmm. I was gonna. I drew a huge blank. It's Cheyenne Mountain, isn't it? Isn't that what they call it? That sounds familiar. At least in the movies, they call it NORAD. Is Colorado Springs north or south of Denver? South. Let's double check this on the map. I, wanna, I like how we can do these corrections real time. You, you. Uh, I don't have to make an. Uh, it's it's a note. Like if we put a note on the post page then there's like this textual immortalization of our mistakes. But if we just say it in the podcast, you have to listen to it, you know, and you kind of have to be like, okay, at, at timestamp one hour and 30 minutes, Bobby made a mistake. Or it, at timestamp two yeah, hours right. and 45 minutes. It's straight south of Colorado Springs, or sorry, of Denver. And then north, I was thinking of Fort Collins. Fort Collins is north Yeah, but co- from, of Denver. From, it's not quite Pueblo, but really it's more Colorado Springs north to Denver. It's kind of this one big metro area, mm-hmm. and, it go, and it extends mostly to Boulder also, which is where the University of Colorado is and those really cool mountains they call the Flatirons. But yeah, those are cool. They are uh, seriously statist in that range. They, 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 they're overcome with this uh, controlling... I mean, Colorado's a cool state. I love Colorado. You know what's funny about Colorado? When you're coming back to Utah on I-70, it, you're coming out of these mountains, and it reminds you, it says, you are now leaving beautiful Colorado. And within like minutes, like just a couple of miles, you're in this massive desert wasteland of Utah. And so it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek stab at Utah. It's like, you're now leaving beautiful Colorado. Yeah. And, then, and then you're watching it, and you're like, oh, my there's gosh. Some, there's definitely some spots in that part of I'm the— I'm in an alien— there's, world. there's definitely some areas that are a little barren in that in that Colorado Utah border, but it's in the eye of the beholder, right? Because you pretty quickly you're into. It's not like Grand Junction is some sort of. Well, you uh, go from John, Eden. I know, but you go from John Denver's Rocky Mountain High, you know, because you've been yeah, driving along I seventy. But pretty quickly you're into the Moab like, area. Water, water. You're into the. I need you water. get. You, there's the LaSalle Mountains. There's that Colorado Plateau. There's some really neat stuff in that area. But Look, yeah, off of, like, I, <laughs> off of I-70, 
you don't have much to look at. Yeah, if you love, if you like Southern Utah, you're right. There, you, I I like Southern Utah too. I'm with you, but I mean, I think it's funny because it's a little like yeah. if you're driving to California <laughs> and you don't know the the territory, it's like, oh, Utah sucks. Right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, if yeah, you, the, since we're talking about rabbit holes today, okay. If you want a rabbit hole that has to do with Colorado, look up the Denver International Airport. Oh, no Just kidding. go from there. That's all I'm going to say. We'll just leave it at that. Let, yeah. the, let the listeners just go look, dis- Yeah, just look at it. That. Just, uh, maybe if you need a little bit of a, you know, a little bit more of a clue to what to look at, look, at, look for the horse or look for the murals. Just those are some keywords you could add to your search on the Colorado airport. Oh, speaking of murals, we, you mentioned Minerva Tykert. She painted a lot of murals in the, in the Salt Lake Temple. Really? The Salt Lake Temple is being remodeled. I would say gutted. And those murals are going to be destroyed. What? And I think that that's a, I think that's a bad thing. I think uh, they should find a way to preserve those. But the idea now is they're going to photograph them and then destroy them. So hold, hold on a second. You're not kidding. No. They're not going to make an attempt to take them out? I don't think so. I guess, how would they get them out? They'd have to get them out piece by piece, right? They'd have to take them out the door. Look, with yeah, the resources... Yeah, but I, I got to think that nowadays they could do with that. With the resources they have, I mean, so they're going to remove them entirely from the building and then they will no longer be in the building? Like, they're not going to... Re- they're going to destroy them. Just after they turn them into them. the rubble. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. About now that. I might be wrong, though, because there is a headline here that says they have. Oh no, that's from the uh, Salt Lake Tribune paywall. Uh, no, it says we know you have your ad blocker on. You can't read this without your ad blocker. Well, I'm not turning my ad blocker off, but that was the. <laughs> I'll go to. I'll just go to another website. You could put it into archive.org. You know you, what? Copy the copy the URL. Here's a little tip for the listeners: if you get those paywalls, go to archive.org. So copy the URL, go to archive.org, and then post it into the Wayback Machine, and you should be able to get it without... You know what also works in a lot of these is just going to reader mode, if you have reader mode on a tablet, oh, okay. which I'm on a... Good. Anyway, I, I think they removed the ones they could, but some of them are... They're just are, too big? Are just too big or too ingrained, uh, integrated with the wall. Anyway, maybe I'll just cut all of this. You're going to cut this from the discussion? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Here's what the new... Okay, here's what the church actually is saying. This is recent. March 24th, 2021. That is quite recent. Maybe you'll have to cut some of the dead air. But well, I'm maybe, reading it, yeah. Maybe the listeners like the time to sit and think. I don't think to so. To gather their thoughts. They, they probably are taking notes and unwinding the tangents going, okay, Bobby's talking about Minerva Tykert. Is he going to ever get back to Dr. Hook and the medicine show? How is that going to, like, I, I'll bet you they're, I'll bet you they're rooting for different tangents to become the finale of the podcast. You're not even listening to me anymore. Well, I'm trying to read this article quickly because they just won't get to the point. <laughs> Why? Why can't they say what they mean in the headline? 
that's another good topic for another show would be how headline driven our society is right now. So here's, and, and we have to do an episode, just mental note, we have to do an episode on how social media has entirely destroyed our society. Like if we were to write a Book of Mormon type of a, a record for our people, like, you know, I, Bobby Flood, having been born of goodly parents, leave this record for posterity. Uh, you know, if I was the Mormon Mormon person compiling your your history, of course I'd have to give a shout out to secret combinations, but I, instead of their secret oaths, and their, uh, you know, all of their their behind the scenes double dealing, I would say. And then this, they created Twitter, and Twitter created virtue signaling, and that destroyed their entire society. We see that it leads to the entire destruction, not and only of this the, culture, but all we, the cultures of the world, and thus the apocalypse. And thus we see. <laughs> so here's some here's some some PR speak for you. This is. This is from the official newsroom of the LDS Church explaining the situation. As we make these significant changes for the future, many historic elements are being impacted. Destroyed. Yeah, impacted by bulldozers. Replace replace impacted with destroyed. By the way. For example. By the way, can I stop you? Can you hold your thought there? Okay. I know a guy who knows a guy who supposedly is is high up in the project management. He said that the interior of the temple, like they thought the pioneers were really good at construction and stuff. He said, no, it's just a lot of plaster on top of plaster. He says that the interior of that temple was severely damaged by that earthquake last March and that they're like, they're going to have to do a total rewrite for, for those reasons. But anyway, just a side, just a side note. I don't know if, if that's verifiable or not. Okay. Okay. For example, the addition of new instruction rooms, a new method of presentation, seismic strengthening, and changes to meet accessibility requirements. And contactless endowments. Meant that the murals in the temple would need to be moved and or repainted. It was impossible to know whether the murals could be preserved during such a move. They were originally painted directly on lath and plaster walls, which had been repaired and repainted many times because of water damage and other deterioration. Further, the change to a film presentation meant that the rooms would be reconfigured. All for, the, for all these reasons, the murals were carefully photographed and documented before removal, and some of the original portions are being preserved in the church's archives. Many other historic features of the building have also been photographed, documented, replicated, and in some cases, architecturally salvaged. So it might be that there, there wasn't anything better they could do. Look, yeah, lath and plaster. You can imagine trying to remove that. Uh, but these, if if but if, if you never saw the, if you never saw these in person, it's it's a shame because they were they were quite impressive just in their scale. And it's one thing that that I hope, and this is a little, uh, uh, I guess, architectural architect arch, architect Hey, you're the PhD. I'm not going to interfere here. Stru- struggle with it. Architectural plea is that I hope we'll continue to create murals like that. I don't. Is architectural a word? Architectural. Arch. Architectural. Do you want me to look it up? Nah. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, no. Look, but look, we. This is part of our heritage to to understand the temple. I think it's significant. Everything's moving to, to DVD now, right? 
Oh, I don't know if DVD. Sorry. Everything's moving to internet. Everything's moving to visual, you know. Well, what's happening here, if you're not familiar with. Is it holograms now? If you're not familiar with. Holographical? The LDS temples is that originally they were live presentations, which meant people actually acted out almost like a play, certain uh, uh, presentations. And this, this is the ancient way, because we've had since time immemorial people, okay, and we've had paint and chisels. And if you go back to Egypt, you'll see that they had these elaborate scenes on the walls and stuff like that. So these are the graven images to give a shout out to, again, to the Deuteronomistic wreckage of the Hebrew religion. They inserted into the Decalogue. Okay, now I'm on a big tangent because I know we've got some Mormon listeners and you need to know that the Ten Commandments are not what you think. They are good things. Like it is good not to murder. Okay, don't get me wrong. Thou shalt not murder is a good statement. Do not murder people. Uh, don't commit adultery. Good advice. Okay. Don't bear false witness. Good advice. Okay. Uh, don't covet. That's really good advice. Um, now, but should we really get on people's case when we, cause we all covet, right? It's like, oh man, I'd really like to have, uh, a DVD. Well, what I was going to say was the good looks and charming, uh, <laughs> charisma of Bobby flood, but, uh, <laughs> hey, not everybody can be Bobby flood. Okay? Flat, flattery is an important part of our modern society. And if I'm, everybody I'm was Bobby flood, nobody would I'm, be Bobby. Flood. I'm practicing my flattery. Um, but anyway, the, the 10 commandments, if you if you go back in in your history, traditionally what they're called is the the ten logos or the Decalogue. Historians and Greek speakers, Greek studiers, will recognize that they're they're termed the Decalogue, which means uh, it comes from Decalogos, ten sayings or ten words. It could, uh, ten uh, lo- logos is the word used by John. When he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Also could be translated, in the beginning was the messenger of salvation, who was among the gods, or in the first council was the messenger, and he was among the gods, and he was himself a god. Those are appropriate translations. The word salvation is not technically in there, but I'm using that because of Doctrine and Covenants section 93, where Joseph Smith was told that he was in the beginning messenger of salvation. So that's an appropriate understanding of John chapter 1, because the words can mean those things. But anyway, in our modern world, we have um, got this sense that the Ten Commandments are sort of a legalistic contract that thou shalt do, otherwise be snuffed out by the hand of God upon the face of the earth. And in the, in the ancient times, what they were was ten sayings, ten good sayings. It's good advice. It's, it's not just good advice. It's really good advice. Don't murder people. That's a, that's a, a bedrock of, of society. It's okay that, that we consider that a law, but we also should consider that good cultural, a good cultural thing. And so if you go outside of the uh, cultural norms on that, you would, you would suffer certain repercussions. But anyway, what gets worked into these these ten um, ten pillars of of a good society or whatever is this idea that comes straight out of the Exodus story that I am the one jealous God. This is the first commandment, and the first commandment. Please forgive me. Please think about this. Don't just run screaming from the room when I tell you the first commandment is a little bit goofed up. Okay. This is important, and I think if you think, think about it, dear listener, <laughs> dear reader, I think if you think about it, you'll realize this is important. 
our God is not a jealous God. Okay? <laughs> Thou shalt have no other gods before me is a rip on the hosts of heaven. Because we're talking about lowcase gods, G, a lowcase G here. The hosts of heaven, the heavenly hosts, the angels, the angelic hosts, was who the Deuteronomists were ripping on when they changed that or inserted that into the Decalogue to say, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It says literally, I'm the God that led you out of Egypt and thou shalt have no other gods before me and you won't even make any graven images to these gods. The reason for that, again, relates to the whole golden calf episode, but it, it harkens back to Egypt where they had engraven on the walls, and remember, this is all related to Minerva Teichert and the murals on the walls because it depicts the setting and tells the story and, and gives us flavor for what the ancient temporal, temple ritual drama was like, okay? The reason we can't have graven images is so you can't tell the story. And there's a really good movie that talks about writing and talks about images in a really cool sci-fi sci sense, and that movie is Stargate. Kurt Russell, mm -hmm. is it James Spader that's in that? I think so. He plays the the archaeologist. Now we got to look that up. I have to um, make a quick. Okay, interject on correct, my on correction. my interjection. A correction. I so Minerva Tykert painted the murals in the Manti Temple, which oh. are going through a similar. Okay. Uh, a similar. Thing right now, but I think those are going to be a little bit more preservable. But I don't think she did the ones in the Salt Lake Temple. It was James Spader in Stargate, but Stargate is awesome because it's got this Egyptian setting. But they go to another world where the the um, the jealous god, this is the false god, realizes that in order to keep control of the society, he has to do away with writing. So writing and imagery. Because remember, the writings are written in the glyphs, the pictures. Hieroglyph literally means, means sacred picture or sacred glyph, sacred writing. And that's what creates this, this powerful society where the people know something about their actual reality. In the, in the Stargate uh, alternate world or the, the, the alien world that they, they transport to, the people are oppressed because they have no writing. They've been, it's been outlawed by their god. That's essentially what happens in the first commandment when it says, make no graven image. Be it's a direct attack on the, the, the colorful, elaborate, intricate stories written on the Egyptian temple walls. I'm waving my hands like, Bobby, wake up! This is a big, big deal. It is a huge deal because we're talking about written language and what was it supposed to convey? the sacred or the profane. It was supposed to convey the sacred. And so when you're talking about the temple murals, it's, it's, a, it's an issue for me because, you know, like, like we've talked about, a picture's worth a thousand words. Cecil B. DeMille's depiction of what happened, which was incorrect, is worth a bazillion words and tons and tons of baggage that we collectively carry on our shoulders because we can't get those images out of our minds. For example, Ben-Hur, awesome movie bad history. The Romans did not oppress the Jews in the manner that the movies have depicted. It was the Sanhedrin, the Jews themselves, that crucified Christ, and not, I'm pounding on the table now, and not the Romans. It was the Jews, the temple guard. There were a couple of Roman soldiers standing around there to make sure it all went down, 
without you know a huge re revolt rebellion or something to keep order essentially but it was the sanhedrin that did it they were responsible and they've spent millennium trying to disclaim responsibility for that in all of palestine at the time of christ there was less than a cohort of romans in the territory which means less than 600 and if you've watched ben-hur and if you've watched some of these other movies you come away with this idea that they were occupied like we're occupying iraq or afghanistan and 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 running around the the romans were meddling in their affairs that is absolutely not true at the time of christ the the palestinian state was as free as it had ever been prior to the the great protectorate of david and solomon and they were enjoying intercourse and commerce with uh, throughout the Roman Empire as a free people. And they had applied for Roman provincial status in roughly 60 to 40 AD because the family of Herod had kind of gone crazy. And so it had turned into what they call a tetrarchy, which was a, a, a region divided into four different parts. And um, they, they enjoyed great freedom. And... Uh, this is how the Romans were able to maintain such a long-standing, reasonably stable, very stable, I guess we would say, empire and society for so many years, and it ends up morphing into the Catholic, you know, the Catholic empire or whatever. But it's because they had this this uh, tradition where they, where where Rome was concerned, they would apply Roman law. So Paul could appeal to Roman law as a Roman citizen, but when it, when it was related to the people of the land, they had this thing called jus gentium, which means home rule or rule by the people, and so the rules of the people applied. And it's super important because that whole episode where Pilate washes his hands was ceremonially that's a that was a literal ceremonial roman legal practice to demonstrate he was disclaiming jurisdiction he says i'm not going to crucify him you crucify him and it was the sanhedrin that crucified christ anyway a little bit of a tangent there if you want to read about it uh byu farms scholars or maxwell institute scholars jack welsh and john hall have written about it they have uh a book you can probably get called uh, Charting the New Testament, and it's sort of a eighth grade textbook style, really good to try and give you some, some real context for what it might have been like there at the time of Christ. Anyway, that's a big, big long tangent within tangents within tangents down here in the rabbit hole, but the point is the murals depict the setting, and so now we've got a video that's going to you can change the videos, right? See, that's that's nice. But the but the point is the narrative isn't supposed to change, and the setting and the symbols aren't supposed to change. And so when if if you've been to the Mormon temple, you know that in a if you've been to a live endowment, you know that you have to move from room to room to room because the setting changes. That is in, is so important to the narrative. And what's depicted on the walls is to give you a feeling for the type of setting that you're in and what's going on, the form and function or the stage of creation or the stage of your progression that you're in. And so there can be a lot lost when we, when we turn it into a movie because we tend to, when we see the movie stuff, we tend to pull different things like emotion out of it. I, I remember 
um, when they recently, it was a couple years ago that they did new temple movies, and I remember the, the ladies especially coming out going, oh, you get this feel for, for how deeply Adam felt this, or Eve felt this, or whatever, and, and there's, this, there's sort of this wrong-headed approach to personalizing Adam and Eve, and how they might have felt, rather than recognizing that you, the initiate, are supposed to consider yourself Adam, and you're supposed to functionally recognize, or, or Eve is supposed to functionally recognize where she's at and where she's going, rather than how she felt. That, it blows my mind. Anyway, I'm, okay. Well, we, we take, add, take us back. We add appro- uh, appropriately timed musical swells and tears and, and emotion in the voices of the actors. And the live sessions that you mentioned are, are going away. They'll, they're done. They're never, they're never coming back. It's important if, if you haven't, yeah, I guess we're done with that. Because they, they were only occurring in a few temples, what we call the pioneer temples. And those are being part of this remodeling uh, project in Salt Lake, Logan, and Manti is to outfit them with theaters. Right. It's so unfortunate. They can, they can move people through faster. They don't have to have people enact this. They have total turn-on-a-dime control, nar- uh, narrative now, control. I, I understand. I can understand, you know, the modernization. But what I fear, and this is something I fear to do with our culture and our religion in, in, in you know, both, is that we are... We are losing that connection, that tether with our history and our culture and our people, both as uh, Americans. We're losing context. Uh, um, uh, as Americans, we're losing that tether to our founding and the founding principles and the reasons, not only the reasons that Thomas Jefferson and company felt the need to declare independence, but who we're losing who the those people were and what their worldviews were and why they felt the way they did and why they felt that they were enduring a long train of a, a long long train of abuses well religiously we're doing the same thing whether you're LDS Protestant Catholic regardless of your regardless of your religious heritage uh we're losing we're losing the the meaning for example in, in, there's a reverend who is also now a newly elected member of the house of representatives from a state that uh, had a special runoff election georgia who who won that seat in a controversial manner we don't need to go into that anymore but he tweeted this is again this is a reverend this is a preacher this is a guy who who should know who should know better all right and i guess we can just say his name his name's Raphael Warnock Warnock and he has all kinds of there's all kinds of controversy around him but he tweeted yesterday yesterday was easter sunday this is a christian preacher saying the meaning of easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of jesus christ whether you are christian or not through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Okay. We can save ourselves. This is a Christian preacher saying Easter doesn't matter. The resurrection doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't matter. As long as you're nice, you can save yourself. So we're... That is, that is a problem. We're completely... We are losing our religion. 
We're REM. Okay. Make a note. We'll put that on the post <laughs> keeping page. With our Keeping with our musical Music theme, theme yep. we are losing our religion. And I don't just mean... What I mean is that we're losing our tether to the divine uh, in, in all kinds of different ways. And we have to remember that each of us... See, we're not... We're not dependent on experts or preachers or credentials to talk with God. We all have that ability. That's right. We all have the responsibility. You see, life, it's bigger. It's bigger than you, and you are not me. And the lengths that I will go to, the distance in your eyes, oh no, I've said too much. Anyway, keep going. Oh no, I've said too much. I'm going to cut that out for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, I've sung on the podcast. You need to keep that in there. Well, I think I think just we're we're we, our our culture is crumbling before our eyes, and, and it's it's crumbled many times before. We've been through plenty of apostasies and restorations, and some some that are like pseudo restorative. I mean, it's not like we kind of have to disabuse ourselves from this notion that that at some point in time, the people actually get quote unquote the true church. If you're Mormon, go back to Second Nephi, <clears throat> excuse me, First Nephi, chapters eleven through fifteen. There are two churches, only two churches, okay? And we know that these are not institutional churches. There's the Church of the Lamb, and the Church of the Devil, and that, in the most true sense, relates to the Greek ecclesia. That's the word that got translated as church. And when William Tyndale, the pioneer of the English language Bible, was Burnt at the stake by the Catholic Church, one of the charges they read at his execution was that he wouldn't translate the word ecclesia as church because the, the institutional Catholic Church wanted ownership of the truth. And so he refused to do that. He wanted to translate it as congregation or body of believers, which is a more correct translation. And, and Joseph Smith in 1829 received revelation in Doctrine and Covenants section 10 that says, Jesus basically says, Behold, this is my church, those who repent and come unto me. And if you claim any more or less than this and call it my church, you're not of my church, and you come of evil. That's the end of section 10, roughly verses 65 through the end, where the Lord gives Joseph the definition of ecclesia, which is the body of believers. And we know this. We know that there are plenty of good people who aren't of our, all denominations know this, but yet there's this institutional impetus to try and claim that the institution has some sort of a uh, <clears throat> a right to primacy when it's the the body of believers. There are only two churches, and so when I say apostasy and restoration, um, you have glimpses of truth, and and I'm not talking about an institutional restoration. At the time of the founding of this country, which was there was a huge important process that we often overlook because we we kind of go back to 1776 and start there the colonists had been here in a frontier type of an environment with with little ties to the to the thought tyranny and the physical tyranny of the old world for for a couple hundred years and more and more people kept coming because it was a land of that kind of freedom and so the events of the 1700s were influenced by the events of the 1600s and the events of the 1500s. There's this, there's this process that's kind of called colonization, but it's more a, 
more of an escape from the control mechanisms of the old world. And so you have a restoration or a, a revival of truth going on. And it results in arguably one of the greatest nations in history, the American nation, right? Which was founded in truth and then co-opted by evil people who took over its momentum. So throughout history, we, ha we have that same type of thing happening. We, we become at certain points disconnected from it. And right now we're, and the Book of Mormon des describes this, we, we talk about it in really basic elementary school terms in the uh, gospel doctrine classes. We call it the pride cycle. But it, you can see society always going through this. And the more, the more we ally ourselves with truth, the better it is for society. And the more we destroy and take away context and get rid of our historical understanding and, and orthodoxify everything, the worse off it is for society. I just saw a picture of President Biden, Jill Biden, and the Easter Bunny, and they were all wearing masks, including the Easter Bunny, <laughs> which was like a like a sports mascot. What what he meant to say was, and yes, our society is really being destroyed <laughs> right before our eyes. There are massive shifts going on. There, there are huge shifts where things that just a few years ago were were fundamental self-evident truths, and those things are being absolutely wrecked, completely wrecked. And, and getting back to the, the, the temple murals, if you haven't had a chance to sit in the Manti Temple and hear some redneck reciting or reading the lines that Lucifer um, is supposed to say in the movie, and then wonder, wondering about that, okay, what are, what are we really doing here? This is, you know, being uncomfortable that he's uncomfortable, being uncomfortable that you're not watching the movie, uh, looking at the murals going, why? Why did they do this? What is, you know, because they, they, they had to put a la an elaborate show together in order to portray the setting and, and to give the narrative and to give you the feeling that you're caught in the middle of it. When you're watching the movie and... Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I hope that the listeners are mature enough to realize I'm not trying to make light of the ceremony by telling el elements of it. But we we in a way became the Henry Fords of temple worship by, you know, focusing on repetition and pushing people through and trying to get people to go as often as possible. And so we don't contemplate the meaning of it. We just contemplate the logistics and the mechanics of it. And so you get into a big room where you've got all these people trying to go through before work. And instead of recognizing that they are the couple that's supposed to be sitting at the altar, there's a, there's somebody else up there that's doing the couple that sits at the altar or kneels at the altar. And they forget that admonition right at the start that says you must consider yourselves respectively Adam and Eve. So, so they're sort of bystanders rather than being involved in the process. And in an ancient temple setting, you would not have had this assembly line type of a, a thing. You would have people who spent their many, many, uh, not hours, but weeks, months, years, trying to get context, and then they would go through for themselves as the initiate by themselves or with their spouse, right? It was not like this big production where we're running a ton of people through it. And so they would be in the setting. They, were, they would bring in the plants and do the creation room and all that stuff. And they were the ones 
that were being uh, initiated rather than a whole troop. We will have to link to some photos of these Salt Lake murals. They're, they're really, the, the rooms are spectacular. These aren't just murals like big paintings. These are paintings that go from the floor, like the floorboards, all the way up and over the ceiling and then to the other side. They're, they are immersive, um, and so they're, they're, they're pretty neat. And I don't know if the new rooms will have anything like that, if they're going to re- try to recreate anything like that, or if it's just going to be more accommodating to a theater setting. It's kind of a shame because you're, we really are. We, we've, we've, we've assembly lined this thing and we're not supposed to be building Model Ts. You, re- you realize there was a time where like Henry Ford was pushing out like 15,000 Model Ts a day off of the line. We're supposed to be building like Lamborghinis or, you know, think of the most cool well, custom. Art, art is an interesting kind of, I guess, type or, or symbol of, of all of this. <clears throat> you know, uh, Nibley talks about in Leaders and Managers, an essay we've referred to about if if management wants cheap kitsch then that's what we will get and then he says down come the old pioneer monuments well, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're literally seeing the pioneer monuments in some cases pioneer monuments are being pulled down because they're offensive now and i don't just yeah, mean mormon pioneer i mean we're talking about all american the pioneer monuments or you know statues of people like thomas jefferson that, con- are that being context matters pulled down I names mean, names of places are being changed uh, we we have a we have a university here in utah called dick that's been called dixie state and and dixie university Anyway, There's a big Dixie this, written on the what this, they call the sugar loaf this name dixie is being canceled for Reasons I don't fully, I mean, I know why they're saying it, but I don't understand uh, wh- how it's offensive other than that in the South, there was slavery and the South is often referred to as Dixie. Yeah, St. George was what they used to call the cotton mission. That's where we in Utah would grow cotton. And so they called it Dixie because in the Utah's South, they would Dixie. Grow, they'd, call it, they'd grow cotton in the South. So is that evil that, that the South is associated with cotton and cotton is associated with slavery and hence... St. George is bad. I mean, that's just terrible. We're if we're that uptight, that's terrible. We can't we can't exist that way, right? And that and, and we're going down a crazy road of to where language and the rules are shifting so rapidly that it's impossible to know how to even behave if you're immersed in this. We can't you know, have a society this way. You know, it's like what what are the rules? And the rules, there are no rules. The rules are whatever is the whim of the of the time. You know, there's a lot of uh, a talk about the vaccine passports right now, and I think the vax the vax pass is just the tip of the iceberg because it's only a matter of time until it becomes an ideological test. Well, For example, the, the whole system is is leads directly to the Chinese social credit score system, right. which I think is what you're... yeah. For example, right now, you know, the New York Mets announced that unvaccinated people can't go to their games. Well, that's only a a, a couple of steps from people who voted for candidate A can't go to their games, or people who voted for HR. 
whatever can't yeah. go to their games. The, the whole point of the, the vaccine passport, if they can get it into your phones or whatever, is to normalize a, a logistical system for depriving people entry or services based on arbitrary factors like who you voted for or whether you purchased a gun in the last 60 days or, or something like that. if you purchased a book, a certain book, it or get down to books, watched yeah. a certain YouTube video. I'm sorry, sir. It looks like in the last three months you have watched a YouTube video that has since but been see, deleted. But that's not what's because gonna, it had misinformation. But see, you're not even going to know that. It's going to be uh, some 19 year old at the gate saying, "I'm sorry, I can't let you in. Your your passport's declined." And you're going to go, "Why am I right. declined? What was my thought crime now?" Think about think about if you've ever gone to a store and had your credit card declined. It's a little bit embarrassing because people around you understand that something's wrong with your credit card. Right. Usually it's just a misunderstanding or sometimes you have an expired card or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's embarrassing. It's a little bit embarrassing. Now imagine that you try to buy something at the grocery store and or get on an airplane. The clerk says, "I'm sorry, sir, we can't. This transaction cannot be completed. You have not been vaccinated." Or it, it, that's our records be, show that you you consumed first. you consumed it, uh, not even they won't even use the word illegal, but you consumed misinformation, conspiracy yeah. theories, and lies. Right, but they're not going to say that. They're just going to say you were denied. And at first, right. it's going to be well, you weren't vaccinated, which is going to be odd because if you gained entry and made it to the uh, made it to the counter, but you can't buy anything because you're not vaccinated. That's absurd. Right. But uh, at first, at first, it would be tied to that, and then it's gonna it's gonna evolve into this. Well. Your thus and such an app, your fast pass app or whatever isn't working. You need to go well, work that out with the authorities. And, and it's going to carry into some really impactful situations. Right now, you might say, well, I just won't go to a New York Mets game. I mean, we live a long way from New York City. I've never been to a Mets game. So I, I read that and I say, that's 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 a problem. But it's not really a problem for me. Oh, well, sucks to be a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. But then pretty soon it's the jazz game. Right. Then you have the Utah Jazz. But then what happens when you go, when you apply for a job, a job you might really need, and the employer says, you're really qualified, we like you, but it looks like you tweeted something. You criticized Dr. Angela Dunn two years ago during the pandemic on Twitter. Sorry, you have, you have a red mark on your on your uh, on see, your past. I think that if, if, they, if they give that kind of granular detail to an employer, I think that that's... Uh, going to create an upheaval. I think it's just going to be like, well, I can't, you know, you have a low score. We're not going to hire you or you're not going to know why right. you're, you're not hired because you had a low score on the social credit system. Right. App. And it might, you're probably right. It won't get, it won't get into that detail, but maybe, maybe the user for a while at least be given an ability to go see where they have their check marks, well, their the, X's. You could, you could have a situation develop where you have an honor code office type of, <laughs> to borrow a Mormon BYU, BYU thing where you have to go resolve it with the authorities. Like, oh, why am I, why was I denied, you know? And then they go, oh, well, yeah, you voted for Joe Biden or for, you voted against Joe Biden or right. you did this or that or the other. Well, of course, if you, if you, it's so important to read history and look, go read the Gulag Archipelago because the author, Solzhenitsyn, Solzhenitsyn? Solzhenitsyn? Look, I, I just don't... It's a hard word for me to say. I would have said Solzhenitsyn, but... Solzhenitsyn. But, go, I, but he, I'm not the expert on that, so... Well, I don't have a PhD in Russian pronunciation. Okay. I have a 
PhD in jargon pronunciation, American jargon pronunciation. Okay. I, but I'm people, guessing that we'll people, get people, one of our listeners will tell us how to pronounce that because I know for a fact that this guy that uh, we've called Ed, Ed, Edmund okay. does actually Same. have it. He does actually have experience with Russian pronunciation. Okay. So we Good. are going to find out well, how to pronounce it. The author of that book re, uh, recounts, recounts a lot of situations where people were arrested and taken away, and they're, they're never really told why. And, of course, that happens in, in fiction, like in 1984. People are committing crimes that they don't even know they're committing. They don't even know they're crimes. Um, they just get that, taken away. That, that is becomes the, normal in society. That is the road that we are on with these and it might be the road we've been on for a long time, but these passes, these social credit devices or, or mechanisms right. are a huge step in that. They're an right. acceleration. And then, and then, the traffic society, on the road is faster. Right. Society society switches from one where you have uh, this freedom and, and free thinking and discussion and lively discussion to one where people exist. Like, like there, it becomes a contest to worship the state and virtue signal that worship. It, it becomes this, this strange, like, like everything you, all the propaganda you ever saw on communist Russia, where everybody's just spouting off mindlessly, you know, uh, the slogans, slogans and, and, and virtue signaling their, their, and their if you, if adherence you, and, and allegiance to the state. If you believe uh, Solzhenitsyn, you know that most of the people spouting that stuff didn't believe it. They were just saying it because they knew that that's, that's what, what they you had have to, to do. do. Yeah, to survive and to get ahead. You mentioned William Tyndale. Now, he, he was burned at the stake, right? Mm-hmm. And when they do that to somebody like uh, Tyndale, they have to first strangle them so that they can't be screaming out her- heresies right. while being killed by the church. So they they... They would either strangle you or, d- or destroy the soft palate in your mouth or something. They would, isn't, they would torture you first and then kill you c- ceremonially, uh, publicly. I might be mixing my books here, but I think there's a book about Tyndale that opens up with some regular people being burned at the stake for the crime of reciting the Lord's Prayer. You know, uh, our father, which I'm, not are aware, heaven, I'm not aware of that. And their family members have to watch. And as they're being burned, they they recite the prayer. So maybe they didn't get their tongues cut out before they were burned. But well, the, it, but it depends I, on the type of heretic. I, I bring you, that up. You're burning. I bring that up because we're moving towards a at least an intellectual or metaphorical burning of the stake. You're already seeing that. We've talked a lot about people who have been canceled and censored over the last 12 months. Well, you're next in line when your Vax pass doesn't add up. When you yeah. have a low, a low social credit score because you listened to the Mind Virus show. Your IP address was associated with that IP address. You will have a harder time do, functioning in society. That is the logical path that we're on. There's no other path. This doesn't stop with just the vaccinations. And, and let's say it does. Where does that stop? Is it stop in six months when you've had both doses? Or are yeah, you going to have to get the flu shot next winter? Are we going to spend all of this money, time and effort to develop logistical 
systems like software uh, tracking systems just for this, just till, till this coronavirus goes away. I think that's where you were headed. I mean, this, this right. is not, right. this is not about this anomalous, strange coronavirus that we've all finally developed herd immunity to. I'm going to quote. This is about the common cold. We have now rebranded the common cold. I'm going to quote from a institutional email. I'm not going to tell, say where it came from. Okay. But to protect the innocent, this this was sent out to a lot of people last spring. It says we acknowledge that in exceptional circumstances, all individual rights may be reasonably restricted for a time to protect the safety of the general public. Well, if history is any indicator, we all know that temporary restrictions are always permanent. And they're always done under the guise of protecting the public. And, and it's always an excuse. I would make a counter argument that our individual rights only mean anything during exceptional circumstances. To say otherwise is to imply that our freedoms and our liberties and our individual sovereignty only apply during unexceptional circumstances. Well, of course, what is exceptional and unexceptional, what is reasonable and unreasonable is subjective and is usually determined by the people with the most guns. <laughs> yeah. The so, people who have the, the legal uh, monopoly, monopoly on, on violence. violence. Yeah. Which right now is not me and you. <laughs> right. We have this strange, uneasy truce here in America because they have the monopoly, but we have a lot of guns. And uh, the, right now, they're, they're, needing, they're needing to sell a lie to the public. They need to change the narrative and get you focused on the idea that it's coronavirus, this strange, weird thing that happened in 2020 that's, that killed you know, a fraction of the number of people they said it was going to kill. You know, it, it, it wasn't that bad, but it, it's the reason we need to change society. And it's the reason why there's all these mass shootings. It was the reason there's there's home invasions and people have lost their jobs. And it's the reason there's we, economic turmoil and destruction yeah, we, and we're seeing, failure. We're seeing that in the news. Um, there were a couple of home invasion articles we, we uh, looked at prior to this podcast that were interesting because... Uh, there literally are people out there who have lost their jobs because of this whole episode and they're resorting to violence. There was one in Brazil and one in, in Oakland that uh, was brought to light by um, this famous journalist, Glenn Greenwald, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he, he had seen a story about a home invasion in Oakland and he had to write about it because he had experienced a home invasion robbery he was bound, you know, tied up and at gunpoint and robbed by people who weren't really professional criminals. They were desperate. Yeah, I don't people. think they were targeting him. I don't think he was afraid because he's quite outspoken on some controversial things. And yeah, he, 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 he was and afraid he has, it was a political thing. At and first. he has regular security, like right. police security because of that. But but it wasn't it wasn't for his political um, writings or anything. It was they just wanted they, they were desperate. They wanted money. So the way the media frames that and the way we're going to see it framed is that it's because of coronavirus. It was the right. coronavirus that the caused virus this. Itself. And uh, they're saying that these mass shootings recently are because of coronavirus restrictions being lifted. Remember, that now we're coming forth full circle on a tangent. We were talking about this earlier, that 
that there's mass shootings occurring and and they they're saying they haven't been occurring in the last year. Well, they haven't been occurring in the, in the last four years. Yeah, they weren't occurring because the mass shooters were respecting the <laughs> yeah. lockdowns and the that's social right. that's distancing the, that's rules. Right. As if murders, as if these murderers cared about the restrictions. I mean, if you want to go shoot up a Walmart, that everybody was at Walmart and everybody was at yeah, Costco uh, the last year. Nobody We're, said I would have gone and shot up a bunch of people today, but I, I I'm not yeah. going to break the social distancing yeah, rules. I, 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 yeah, I'm not going to kill these people because I'm confined to my home well, voluntarily. Locally, you see the pandemic being blamed for this Everything. this mass this this spike in mental health problems in financial problems you know the the jobless claims here in utah are as high as they've ever been but don't forget we have the best economy in the nation right but but the point i'm trying to make the punchline here the 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 uh, end result of this thinking they want you to think it's the coronavirus, and I am telling you unequivocally again, pounding the table, the state is responsible. It is not the virus. It is the state right. and the lockdowns and the policies and the fact that we have changed so much as a society that they've been able to tip us over the edge, off of the slippery slope, down this chute, uh, this shaft leading to hell of, uh, of, of statist interventionist controlling policies that's what is causing this it's not the virus and we don't have to accept that we have to do these things because of a virus this leads to tyranny and it already is tyranny it's just sort of a soft tyranny and it's an excuse for tyranny and so i want to make sure in this podcast podcast even though we've been a lot of different places that we recognize that it's the state and the policies that are to blame for this it's not coronavirus that caused the collapse of the economy last year. The, the economy was, was itching for a reason to correct. The, the Federal Reserve policies since the, since the housing crisis of 2008 have been so, uh, what's the word, permissive, um, excessively uh, permissive, like low interest rate policies, attempting to grease the the wheels on the economy on well, tons of new money in the system. Yeah. And, 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 and it was favorative. It was promoting all the insiders first. And they, they had the too big to, to fail episode where they, you know, massive banks gobbled up some of the other banks and, and all the money was pumped into those, those systems. And then, then, then what did they do? They bought up all the depressed real estate, all the real estate that had just corrected. And so this is a massive transfer of wealth. And it's not, when they talk about transferring wealth, they 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 want to talk about it in terms of the wealth transfers going from the rich to the poor, like as if that's what the Democrats really want. When in reality, what it's doing is it's transferring the wealth from all of us over to them where we don't own anything. Oh, but we'll be happy. We'll own nothing, but we'll be happy. I mean, that's that's exactly what's going on. And uh, the, the Federal Reserve Bank predictably started to raise interest rates uh, uh, right before Donald Trump was put into office. And they just had to raise them just a little bit to cause the economy to come to the brink. And so all the commentators, all the all the people that are watching this were wondering in in uh, 2020 and early 2020 and in late 2019, when is this thing going to correct? Because we've had an artificial everything bubble, quote unquote. That's what they called it. And so then the coronavirus comes in and it becomes this linchpin or this reason that they can blame all the corrections on. When in reality, they are the one that laid out all the dry tinder. They are the ones that created the situation that was poised to fail. 
and they are the ones that are poised to benefit from it. So who's to blame for the mass shootings? The state is. Who's to blame for uh, all the people out of work that are, that are going to engage in crime? The state is. Who is to blame for all that is ailing society right now? It is the state. It is the controllers. It is the people that have brought you all of the false information. They're the ones to blame. That needs to be shouted from the rooftops because it's not going to be said on NBC, CBS, or Fox, or MSNBC. It needs to be said neighbor to neighbor, and it needs to be shouted from the housetops. If there's a bustle in your hedgerow, don't be alarmed now. It's just a spring clean for the May Queen. Yes, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to ask Jimmy Plant or Robert Page. Jimmy Page or Robert Plant. What did I say? Jimmy Plant. Robert Plant or Jimmy Page. We, we have a, we have a lo- loyal listener who I think could explain that to us. Um, there, is, there are two paths you can go by, and there is still time to change the road you're on. But don't change to their road. <laughs> change to the right road. Your head is humming and it won't go, in case you don't know. The piper's calling you to join him. Dear lady, can you hear the wind blow? And did you know your, your stairway lies on the whispering wind? And as we wind down the road, our shadows taller than our soul, there walks a lady we all know, who shines white light and wants to show how everything still turns to gold. And if you listen very hard, the tune will come to you at last. When all is one and one is all, that's what it is to be a rock and not to roll. And she's buying a stairway to heaven. Well, anyway, a little nostalgia there for, for all you listeners that know the tune. The Piper is calling you to join him. So who is the Piper? Well, that's the question. It is. <laughs> I the, think there are several the $64, Pipers. $64,000 question. There's a lot of Pipers. There's a lot of voices out there. But there are two churches only. That's right. And, and there, there is a true shepherd and there is a false shepherd and there is a cosmic war going on. Um, can you buy the stairway to heaven? But there is a stairway to heaven. Anyway, um, <laughs> I was going to say something, but I'm, I won't say it. But okay, I will say on. that truth, think about, think about truth as a signal and the rest of it noise. You know, in a radio context, signal to noise ratio. Yeah, because you got the one, the one truth and then all of the other the sig- distractions the signal will cut through the noise and truth will cut through all the lies and i think that there are so many loud pervasive lies being told right now but truth is cutting through and i think that we're seeing more and more people hear and recognize the truth the next step is to act on that truth that we're receiving 
and that might mean something different to each of you depending on where you're at in your in your life and the circumstance and situation you find yourself in but search out for that signal among the noise and then lock on to it and don't don't follow the piper who leads you into the noise that was a mixed metaphor that was a really good uh really good thought i think we should end there I think that what Bobby just said is true and it's very important. If you, if, if this resonates with you, you've got to realize there's a reason for that. Well, think about the things that are causing you in your life to go, wait, wait, wait a minute. What is going on here? This does not add up. My eyes are in my brain are telling me something different than what I'm being told by the media, the government, or whoever. Listen to that voice. Listen to that voice inside of you because you have you have the truth. You have that antenna that's going to find the noise mm-hmm. or the signal amongst all the noise. And hone that. Use it. Listen to it. And, and once, once you get there, you need to realize why, why maybe you feel the way you feel. Uh, I want to end with a quote from one of my favorite people, Mr. Thomas Jefferson. He says, I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the mind of man. We should chafe at that tyranny. We should. You, that, that's that little splinter in your mind or that Holy Ghost feeling or whatever it is that you're, you're feeling things are not right. We, we should feel hostile to that. We should feel opposed to and concerned about it when we see this type of tyranny. And the tyranny is, first and foremost, over the mind of man. So I'll echo Bobby's statements. Find that truth. Find that truth and become loyal to it and become hostile to the error. Now, how you carefully navigate those situations in your life to avoid conflict, right? Uh, contention is of the devil. But it's also, isn't that interesting? When we, when we say contention is of the devil, a lot of times we, we, what we mean is stop, stop fighting with me. Stop, stop fighting. And whatever, whatever the outcome is, it's better than fighting. And then, then we have to bring up the uh, is it Sam Adams or Patrick Henry is life so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at chains at the price of chains and slavery? To say contention is of the devil does not mean you should not be hostile to or take action against falsehood or against evil. It's just a statement saying they're the ones causing the contention. Are you personally, Bobby, or any of our listeners responsible for all the crap going on since 2020 for the coronavirus? No. The devil caused that. Did, are you responsible for the, the actions and words of the people corrupting the public mind, destroying the education establishment, corrupting you know the narratives and, and music and television? No. That contentious false narrative is of the devil. What do we do? What do we do? We, 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 can, we can just take it. We can take the chains and the slavery. Or we can, we can do the Patrick Henry thing and say, you know, I give me liberty think... and give me death. We can, do the, we can do the Captain Moroni thing and say, look, I wouldn't fight if, if God had commanded us like the anti-Nephi Lehi's 
to lay down our arms, we would. But we seek not for power. We seek to pull it down. We seek the, the freedom to remember our God, our country, our religion, our wives, our children, to, to have the true narrative. If we, if we go quietly into the night, they win. And the contention is their fault. It does not say that you cannot put up a fight against evil. In some cases, maybe God wants you to turn the other cheek, but remember, extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. I think in keeping with our musical theme today, you said, are we going to take it? No, we're not going to take it. (laughs) Oh no, we ain't going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. We've got the right to choose it. There ain't no way we'll lose it. This is our life. This is our song. We'll fight the powers that be. Just don't pick our destiny. Because you don't know us. You don't belong. We're not going to take it. Oh no, we're, we ain't going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. anymore. Twisted, enough is enough. Tw- twisted sister, everybody. Okay. Hurrah for twisted sister. Uh, on that note... I'm signing off. Feel free to continue onward if you want, Bobby, but I'm out of here. No, I will also (laughs) sign off. Find us at mindvirus.show or your favorite podcast aggregator. Uh, Like, comment, subscribe, all of those things. Spread the word. We need help spreading the word. Let Let your family and friends know if this is interesting to you. And, and don't, yeah. Interestingly, that song, uh, my Twisted Sister came out in 1984. Oh, perfect. <laughs> All right, everybody. Happy Easter. Have a great week, and we will see you again soon. We'll see you soon. Stay safe and effective. <laughs> <laughs>